Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. So the papers this morning talk very much uh, with regards to um, the day that is ahead of us. Uh, sometimes this afternoon, maybe, maybe around about five o'clock, six o'clock. Who knows? But here we go. Uh, the star headline this morning talks. And of course, we have more numbers, uh, more about that a little later on. Three deaths and 1,283 confirmed cases yesterday. So they're talking about moving us up a level to not the level four that we have been looking at and has been printed and told about over the past number of, of weeks, but something between four and five by all accounts. Uh, and you may have heard uh, across the morning the story of the virus super spreader who went on to infect dozens. He was uh, overseas. He came home, gave the bug to um, a lot of his family, friends, and went playing a match uh, infected the um, team and 56 and it's just an example of a super spreader uh, infecting at least 56 people after uh, catching it um, overseas. Uh, he failed to self-isolate even though he knew that he tested positive and infected 10 households and players on a sports team. Papers today talk about for, for our own good as in for or for you are. New COVID restrictions will be announced tonight as Ireland moves up yet another level. November pain is the headline from the start today. Uh, the Taoiseach is set to plunge the country into a revised level four lockdown, somewhere between four and five, but it will save Christmas, according to the Mail today. Um, tougher new restrictions put in place today to try and ramp up the battle against COVID-19, um, but they need to take extra measures the saying if we need to save Christmas. Dawn of a new lockdown, but the schools and the creches are deemed important enough to stay open. Uh, how far from home will you be able to uh, walk or drive or have a run? Could be five kilometers, it could be ten, uh, and it could be for four weeks. Neffet want longer than that, but the government are probably going to come down somewhere around about three to four weeks here on Leaside and they talk with many different medics medics that we've spoken to in the past including the Cork GP Dr. Nuala O'Connor uh, people have to be have been warned that they um, you know can't go for a swab and then go to the shop or indeed as I have an email this morning uh, some people who went for a test I don't know whether they were tested positive they wouldn't know they just went for the swab and went straight to McDonald's some would say yeah, but you're in your own car. Like, what's the problem going through a drive-through? But emailer this morning saying it's putting a staff at McDonald's at risk. Um, John Sheehan, the GP, says that people need to get real. There's a real need to enforce more restrictions because the figures don't lie. The CUH has some capacity right now, only some. Uh, they're more worried about people who are suffering for other from other ailments. And other conditions than, than COVID though, if, if things get any worse. But apparently they have capacity to add critical care beds. Uh, COH is saying that they can add on 16 critical care beds. Do you know we lost 200 nurses during uh, the past six months? I mean, why aren't they hiring more and more nurses? In fact, the opposite is happening. We're losing uh, nurses. The Echo is the only paper I can really find that gives any kind of uh, definitive guide as to the difference between level four and level five. So I may well come back to that. But what's very, very sad is another story from the Echo this morning where um, uh, an independent councillor, Danny Collins, says that elderly people living in rural areas of West Cork, uh, 15 or 20 miles from the nearest town, are, are now posting letters to themselves. They're very afraid to come out of their own homes 
and he's heard of people who post letters to themselves just to see the post person come to their house to deliver the letter. I mean, that is just so sad. Uh, the story regarding our fewer nurses actually is a story in the examiner today. Um, and uh, unfortunately, and I heard of a story over the weekend where people are testing positive and indeed people who have COVID-19 symptoms awaiting a test result are still going to work and still mixing with others. Uh, And that is absolutely reckless. For those that have been and will be again, if you got a little respite from working from home, apparently, according to the examiner today, the latest research that says 94% of people want to work from home. Now, you really need to drill into the age demographics to see you know, what age groups are happier to work from home and what age groups are not. But the mental and, of course, psychological effects of uh, people uh, with regards to COVID cannot be underestimated. And that's why there is an argument that gyms should be allowed to stay open for the coming weeks, regardless of what happens, because it's important, not just for people's physical health, but more importantly, they're saying, uh, those in the gym industry, for their mental health. Uh, but uh, interestingly, the Independent says that, the you know, within creches, the virus rate is double that of schools. So they break down childcare facilities, post-primary, primary, you know, and, and they go chapter and verse onto the, the number of uh, you know, tests, the number of positive detections, and the creche virus rate has doubled that of schools. Um, in other somewhat related news, the Independent this morning says that housing supply now in Ireland is at its lowest in 14 years. Uh, and while rents have gone through the roof, that's because housing supply is at its lowest. But what it has also led to is an increase in house prices, and they've gone up 5% uh, this year, despite uh, the pandemic. And one or two other stories then are quite worrying, and it may well uh, come back to this on this program this week if we can get stories and conversations with uh, single mothers who say that they are being bullied uh, by welfare expector, uh, inspectors. And the examiner have an article today giving examples of that. And when I have a little more time this morning, I'll tell you about it. But in one case, a single mother called Neve told the examiner um, she found the experience um Bullying and degrading, she says, one fellow used to park outside my house before the school run and then follow me to school. Um, and in the evenings, if I went out even to get coal or something from the shop, he'd be there as well. I mean, that's harassment like that's intimidation. One day, two women from social welfare came barging into my house. They checked the garden shed. I mean, what were they looking for on the garden shed? Like like a, a boyfriend hiding down there or what? Maybe. They checked the kitchen drawers. They checked behind the sofa. What were they looking for behind the sofa? They went into the baby's room. They asked, how did you pay for the cot? How did you pay for the pram? How did you pay for your clothes? They went into my room and told me to wait outside my bedroom door. They opened my underwear drawer. They went through it with a fine tooth comb. Uh, anybody have experiences of that? Do get in touch. Text 0868104106. No sign of fungi. What are we now? Day four or day five? They think he may have gone on his holidays. They hope he's gone on his holidays. They have divers in Dingle Bay now uh, wondering, has fungi died and is resting uh, down in Davy Jones' locker. But where the flip is he, if you'll pardon the pun? Uh, there's salmon there, um, but maybe he may have followed the salmon out further out to sea. I don't know, but the locals are, are fearing the worst by all accounts. And there's some lovely colour stories making the papers, which I will come back to, including um, the crazy world we live in, where uh, a company apparently in Switzerland, a Swiss internet provider called Twiffy, as in T-Wi-Fi, Twiffy, 
you might say twifey, whatever you like, but you're going to have to get it right because they now have said that if you name your newborn daughter after their internet provider company name, Twiffy, they will give you 18 years free internet. And apparently couples are doing it. That's right. People would do anything for free and good Wi-Fi. The Neil Prenderville Show. Okay, so level four, level five. We'll get an opportunity to talk about it later on this morning. And your thoughts on it are welcome. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. And undoubtedly, there will be news. It won't be good news uh, later on today. But maybe it's just a piece of, a little bit of pain that we're all going to have to endure. What is bothering me, though, uh, to be quite honest with you, is um, the, and uh, make you very angry when you see all the running and racing ministers trying to do each other. This is not the way it should be. Simon Harris last night with his four-minute piece on Instagram. If it's not him, it's Leo Varadkar. If it's not Varadkar, it's, uh, you know, it's um, Stephen Donnelly. Uh, and then, of course, the man who's supposed to be doing it and keeping control on everything is Micheál Martin. Um, they all seem to me to be trying to outdo each other. Does anybody get that feeling that it's like, oh, I want to be the one to break the latest. I want to be the one that's everybody's friend. Text 0868104106 on that as well. But last Friday, and this is a, this is a worrying, I don't know whether it's a consequence of, uh, you know, coronavirus and lockdown and restrictions or what have you. But on Friday, we spoke to Laura, uh, who told us of an attack carried out on a 16-year-old friend of hers, got a bad beating. Uh, two boys uh, gave her an unmerciful hammering and even continued to beat her and kick her while she was on the ground in the Wella area of Balafihan at the back of Harvey Normans. And then on Saturday, something similar. Uh, Saturday evening, this time down in Middleton. And Jur, while he didn't witness the actual attack, did witness some elements of the build-up uh, and joins me by phone. Jur, good morning. Hi, Neil. My one was actually kind of... In Middleton? Yeah, that's right, yeah. That's Middleton, yeah. Saturday evening. Yeah, What did you see? So basically, myself and my fiancé said we go into Middleton, we kind of get a bit of takeaway, just, to, I suppose, to kind of get out of the house. And kind of when we rang in, they said it would be about 10, 15 minutes. So this is around 9 o'clock. So we said, you know what, we'll park up in the middle of the town and we go for a walk. So we kind of walked down to the bottom of the town. And down, down at the bottom of the town, we have, I suppose, a little park on the left-hand side, and it's called the baby walk and it's I suppose it's really where I suppose any of us even as teenagers ourselves would have probably gone drinking and stuff it's it's a common enough place for I suppose a lot of teenagers to drink and at the very end of the park I suppose kind of at the very end of that street what you have is the Jimson distillery kind yep. of where you would have a lot of tours that's right and then and then kind of on the left hand side what you have is um, a car park so the car park I suppose really what a lot of people might know of for would be kind of alongside Iceland so what we did is we were kind of walking down long and we we were near the bottom of the town. I said, you know what, let's go up a little side lane here where there's a couple of shops. And I was just saying to my fiance, I said, look, I wonder how many of these shops are open and struggling. So kind of as we got to the end of the lane, it kind of brings you, I suppose, into the, the car park. We could see probably between 20 and 25 um, teenagers, mainly boys now, but there was a couple of girls there as well. Time? What time? Um, Just remind me of the time. I suppose this is probably about ten past, ten past quarter past nine at this stage. Thank you. And when we kind of, when we were looking out, there was two, there was two of the young fellas now, I suppose about 15, 16, tops off, kind of, I suppose, uh, to me it looked like maybe they were after having a fight or something. They were kind of, I suppose kind of a Conor McGregor kind of swagger about the two of them. Yeah, I know the and look, yeah. I know the gatch. 
you know you know what I'm kind of saying but uh, one of them anyway kind of got a shopping trolley and was throwing it around and just as we got to the very top the same young fellow I suppose egged on by the rest of them went over, over to the car and kicked in the back light of a car and just as and and just at that second they all just came running towards us and I suppose my fiance kind of got a bit of a fright just thought Jesus what's happening here now are they, are they going to attack us but what had happened is is the squad car had just passed up had just gone past the entrance to the car park and just parked down by the Jemson distillery so they all took off running and as they did like there was probably another 20 20 maybe 25 of them hopped over the wall by the baby walk and took off running as well it's just the baby walk is is quite a large park really like and there's plenty of places to hide and stuff so we went down and we kind of I suppose really said kind of what had happened he took all of the descriptions and stuff but like afterwards then we were walking back up along the street and you had a couple of these youths on on either side you know and you had uh, having to walk up through the middle of them like and I mean, like looking at them, like they were definitely after drink. Like, do you see any good. alcohol in the area? You just, or did you just notice that they were drunk? Ah, uh, you could tell they were drunk. Okay. And like, like what I think is a disgrace, like, is that I mean, it's it's pitch it's pitch dark at, at before eight o'clock every night, like, and you have, and and these kids are out, like, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's into like I. I, I suppose I found it a small bit intimidating, like, and we say, like, I'm only in my 30s, like, so, like, I'm not, whereas, you know, I, I suppose an older person would find it, and there was a load of, like, when we were going along, there was a load of roaring and shouting, and, like, around that car park, there's a load of residents living, there's a lot of, kind of, apartments, and I suppose there's a few houses as well. And 15 minutes people. after you witnessed all of that, a young girl got an unmerciful beating. Uh, she actually sent me photographs for the lads, um... <laughs> printed off some yeah. photographs of the state of her face uh, she said that there were heartless scumbags, six girls um, who attacked her she was, I was sitting by the bus stop waiting for my chips, uh, they were harassing me wouldn't be leaving my alone, she was with her boyfriend uh, she was dragged to the floor kicked several times in the face and the head she said by six girls I was lying there helplessly as my fella got assaulted by a group of lads so the lads were beating up her boyfriend and six girls were kicking her. Her head is destroyed. It's all cuts and bruises and bumps and lumps. She says, never in my life have I felt so low to be treated like a piece of dirt by six girls. I lay there helplessly on the ground um, and I wish I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, she says. Yeah, and I suppose where that happens is just kind of around the corner. That's kind of, I suppose, really where they kind of ran to was kind of around the bus stop like but to be honest you know my, my fiance said like she wouldn't really feel a bit comfortable now ever going down there again at night when it's dark it was that bad like but like I mean where are their parents like put an age on them oh 15, 16 yeah, most yeah 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 it's about the parents you're saying yeah 100% about the parents because like first of all anyway like I mean we're all been advised if we can not to not to mix in households so like parents can't have the excuse saying oh I thought he was at his friend's house and but do they ever do they ever see them when they come home particularly if they're drunk but but I suppose then it's probably a mixture you probably have some parents that just don't care and then like you might have other parents then that maybe 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 both parents are out working and they thought that their Johnny or their Mary was at home but they weren't like so I mean there is probably a bit of that too, but like I, I just maybe a lot of parents just don't care. I know in fairness, right? You're talking fifty, you're talking maybe around fifty, fifty. Um, I suppose teenagers, like I suppose it's probably fifteen, sixteen hundred. 
teenagers around the area. Like, so it is a small... So there was, you're saying there was 50 of them on Saturday night? It was probably about 50 of them, yeah. So there was about 20... It was probably about 20 to 25 kind of when we walked around by the car park but okay. as soon as the squad car went past there was just bodies piling over the wall. Unreal. Now Gardy, we were in touch with the guards yesterday they said there was an incident a public order incident it was a lot worse than a public order incident though wasn't it on Saturday evening half past nine female youth was arrested apparently taken to Middleton Garda station later released from Garda custody pending confirmation of a youth referral so she's clearly underage and that's from Garda Press. But when they say public order incident, it almost sanitizes the, the attack on that young girl because I've seen the results and the injuries to her head. I mean, like, you could, you could kill somebody kicking them around the head, you know? Brain bleed it's comes crazy. to mind. It's a disgrace. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's nearly gone that bad, like, that eventually what you'll have to do with the youth is put a curfew on them at the moment. Like. A curfew? Yeah. Like, what, what, like, in fairness now, right? What has any 15 or 16 year old doing at nine o'clock at night when it's pitch dark outside like I mean what are they up to like drinking clearly and fighting yeah exactly thanks Jared appreciate you taking the call text 0868104106 back after the break text the Neil Prenderville show now 0868104106 red FM. Okay, uh, text just says uh, I attended, or at least I was in town, I suppose. The Yeah, I'd get it right, I suppose. I was somebody who was actually in the city on uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock, around the Grand Parade area. There was a demonstration called Peaceful Assembly for Truth and Freedom on the Grand Parade, 2 p.m. yesterday. There's about 300 people on the Grand Parade for that Peaceful Assembly yesterday. And it was peaceful, in fairness. Uh, there was over 20 members of the Gardaí there observing, and Dolores Cahill spoke to the crowd and said... Uh, she would wish that the guards wouldn't have to wear masks. Uh, she said, the texter says there was no social distancing in the crowd whatsoever. Dolores Callow was saying everyone uh, wearing masks would be sick due to what's actually in the mask. She says uh, Leo Varadkar shouldn't have declared a school shutdown in March. She said the lockdown was doing more harm than good. Uh, she said people wearing masks, including the guardie, haven't the courage and haven't done the proper research. She said if you paid me a million euro, I would not wear a mask for five minutes. She said the microfibers in the mask uh, are like breathing in asbestos and that masks will damage a generation of teenagers. Now, um, I don't think that she's saying, like, of course, she's not saying that the microfibers in the masks have asbestos. She says it's like breathing in asbestos. I would think that nothing is like breathing in asbestos. And I don't think the proper masks will be on the market if, um, you know, you were breathing in things that were similar to asbestos. But that's what she said. Uh, she blamed all of the school principals. She blamed the Taunishta. She blamed the Taoiseach. She blamed broadcasters um, uh, for the situation we find ourselves in. And at the end of the protest, they held a, a two-minute vigil for what has happened to the country in the last six months. And then I've sent lots of different photographs um, regarding the peaceful assembly for truth and freedom yesterday, um, the vast majority of which uh, those in attendance said to be up to 300 people were not wearing masks. Well, I suppose they hardly would be if they were there to hear Dolores Cahill speak. But that was yesterday afternoon in the city. Uh, and I also caught up over the weekend uh, with James, who had a bit of a scove from Douglas into the city uh, on Friday night. Now, I have to say, on Saturday, I drove into town, same time, uh, round about nine, quarter past nine to half past nine. I drove the entire city. I drove all over uh, the uh, city centre itself 
and all of the, the the entry points into the city, particularly coming in from you know the College Road area, from it was up around Washington Street. I was in the city. I was on the Grand Parade. I was on the South Mall. And while there were there were people drinking, and they were drinking cans and bottles around the streets. And that was kind of sad to see. There wasn't many of them. And on Saturday night, there were people around the Peace Park and the Green area, and they were drinking. But there were regular people out just meeting their friends, you know. And, and I have to say, what I saw, people were separate from others. Now, there wasn't thronged, but I suppose it was just people coming together to have a bottle of beer or a can of beer and meet their mates, you know. Uh, but, but James saw something entirely different on the Friday night. Basically, what happened is we, we were driving into Douglas Road, firstly, and there was a group of young lads with, uh, by, with cans, really, and, and drinking from open cans of, of beer. Um, when we drove into town, we were getting the takeaway, and we pulled up, collected the takeaway, and we had to come back around and up the, the Grand Parade and down, shall we say, down the mat. Yeah. But as I looked over by electric, there was a minimum of 100 to 120 people. Rough age profile, 20s to far, you know, to, late 30s, early 40s, all congregating there. That was at 9.15 last night, approximately. So that was at uh, the green area by the Peace Park and the boardwalk? It was, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, it's basically, I, I suppose, should, that surely would have been a hotbed for coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, the other side of that is that, you, you know... Okay, the house parties, that's what they're, they're trying to stop. But these guys seem to have taken the house party thing literally and have brought it out onto the streets. Now, that's te- what I saw last night. Technically, I suppose in an outdoor place, six people can gather, but they would yeah. need to be away from everybody else. You say that there was a lot of intermingling and more than groups of six people, is it? There was. There was, you know, definitely a minimum of 100 to 120 people there. Um, no. There seemed to be no social distancing whatsoever there, you know. But what I don't understand is, you were saying um, in your notes that uh, there was one guard there, and she was uh, was she observing stuff, or was she fa- or was she too far away on Tucky Street to be able to see over? That guard was too far away. She was parked there by um, there's bus stops on the Grand Parade uh, adjacent to Tucky Street, and she was parked there. I uh, truthfully. Um, I don't know what she was observing, but um, she was uh, stopped in a, a guard car and um, she was on her own and, you know, she was totally in the, uh, the wrong direction to observe. Oh, you mean she, you was facing, she was facing up the, the road towards Dawn Square? She was, yeah, oh, yeah. So she had her back to it? She had her back to it. Oh, she was sorry, in a, a, a guard car and, look, you know, it, I, I suppose realistically, um, it's, you know... Uh, You'd want to be a very, very brave person on, on your own to, to go into a situation like that. Yeah, and, but you, and, could, and try- you could be closer to it and observing it uh, and maybe even yeah. calling for, I'm not suggesting that she should be calling for backup, but, yeah. you know, a guard of presence does tend to make a difference. Um, now, you also yeah. said that, and I've noticed this in the city a lot also, there's still buskers in there and they're attracting crowds at night who, who um, tend to dance, isn't it? There is, um, again, at, at, uh, just uh, prior to, to spotting what was going on in that green area, um, as we were driving down Oliver Plunkett Street, um, we observed two guys blaring, no, 
blaring out music and there was a group of people around a couple of groups of people really listening and you know they're dancing and they're in good spirits and you know effectively enjoying the moment but at, at the same time again live music there's there's fee paying pubs that can't open their doors they can't play music and these guys are Belting it out on, on, on the streets, you know, in, in, in the hope of congregating. I know, but I mean, what are we going to do? Like, do we want to kill off everything? Like, you see, you find in France now that they're putting, um, they're enforcing curfews. I mean, do we really want that, like, everybody off the streets by nine o'clock at night? Well, we don't. Um, and, and that's why, I, I suppose, realistically, that's the purpose of my call. Um you know, there's a lot of businesses struggling out there. I, I owned a small business myself. And, you know, if, if we go back into another lockdown, it's going to have a, you know, a terrible effect on, on a lot of businesses and job losses and all that. It's really, you know, it seems to be that age profile. They just don't seem to be getting Well, here's what we do know. 75% of those that are now testing positive are under 45. And the median age, which is almost like, yeah. but not quite, like the average age of those testing positive now is 31. In the first yeah. wave, they were 83 years old. So you can see where you can see where the damage is being done now, right? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time... Um, you said that they were walking in the Douglas Road with bottles and cans. How old were they? I would imagine, um, just to take a rough guess, that it's 21, 22, that kind of age. And, and, yeah, the, yeah. and there seemed to be a couple of them turning up towards um, what I, I, I presume it's still you know, in, in, in place, up towards the Gus Healy pool, that direction. All oh, right, okay, so a bit um, of a get-together there. And all of that, actually, well, do, much of yeah. the COVID isn't law they're just guidelines but drinking yeah. on the street is uh that is, is, yeah. that is a that's breaking a bylaw isn't it certainly drinking on the grand parade is against the law well absolutely and and that area it look it's not the first time that i've seen that happening up in in, in that particular area um but having said that last night at, at, at you know it was about quarter past nine it was absolutely and i i'm not a killjoy neil but it was absolutely disgusting to see such a crowd of people mingling and openly mingling without, you know, being moved on. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not blaming the guards. They're probably under-resourced as it is anyway. And effectively, you know, in the old old days, you'd have a public order unit that would be up and move on. Effectively, that's but, it, you okay. know. But what you saw looked wrong. It was absolutely terrible to see it. Absolutely terrible. You know, there's a lot of people suffering from mental health in respects of, you know, being cocooning and not seeing their, you know, relatives. Yes, I know. There's people yeah. in hospitals that yeah. are dying without anybody with them. And yet, you know, these people out in the streets just seem to think, ah, sure, it's all right. It's, it's grand. Sure, you know, I'm going to... You know, they seem to think it's, it's, I suppose, like a flu, effectively, and, and that it's going to go away, you know. They just don't this get is, it. They don't get it. It's much, much more than that. And I just think the city fathers or whoever, if there's anybody in charge out there, just need to, you know, enforce, look, fines and all this kind of thing. That's all grand. That's, 
you know, that's collecting revenue. They just need, you can't educate these people, I, I think, at this time, but move them on. Get them off the streets and just, you know, other than that, we're going to go down the road of what's going on in Paris and, and that's not going to be a nice situation. Or, we'll lead, you know? or it'll lead to more restrictions then. Yeah, yeah. Well, it will and there's a lot of businesses and people themselves struggling at the moment and this isn't helping. But they just, just finally on the Grand Parade drinking cans and bottles, they didn't get those from pubs, so they didn't? No, they, they wouldn't have. Yeah. I mean... You know, a few weeks ago, um, we, we were in town just again t- uh, picking up a takeaway and one particular off license. Um, I went to go towards the off license just to, to get one or two bottles of beer to have at home. And, um, there was, I suppose, roughly 25, 30 people outside queuing. Yeah. Now there, there were queuing but there was again no social distancing yeah. queuing to go into the off license and that's it's wrong it's really really wrong and you know I don't know what's going to happen but having said that you know there's a lot of people and businesses but financially and mentally can't take the strain and won't be able to survive the six weeks if that's enforced very demoralizing you know? very demoralizing it's, it, it's shocking Cheers. You know? yeah james thank you so much um, you're more than welcome Neil, and thank you for having me it's on it's important to get uh, real life uh, observations from the streets and thank you for it look after yourself thank Cheers. you so much thanks very much talk to neil printerville now 1851 red fm i said thanks to ken he sent me on maybe a two-minute video then from uh, mcdonald's in douglas or at least just outside there in the seated area. Neil, I'm sending you this footage of a crowd of teenagers that frequent McDonald's every Saturday night. It's a disgrace they carry on, a disgrace to society and the country's lockdown measures. No social distancing whatsoever. The guards were called by security at around half past eight, but they never arrived, to the best of my knowledge. This happens every Saturday night. On top of everything else, they're verbally abusing the McDonald's staff and the McDonald's security. They think they can get away with it and get away with anything. It's only a matter of time before someone gets seriously hurt there. And he sent me two minutes of video of uh, teens, teams and teams of teens. I'd say anything between 16, 17, that kind of thing, uh, all gathering. And uh, yeah, there's, there's only drive through there. Like I said, they shouldn't even be there in the first place, but there they're gathering nonetheless. And then there's lots of video footage and, uh, you know, photographs been taken over the weekend of extensive queuing. So there seems to be a certain amount of panic, particularly uh, extensive queuing uh, at Wilton, where I'm told people were queuing and queuing and queuing to get into the likes of pennies. Big, big, long queues. And a lot of that has to do with this popularity contest that's um, well and truly underway now between politicians. And that's the reason behind this. We're being given all of this information, you know, all of these versions of events by different politicians who tweet this or post an Instagram video here and telling us, oh, we all need to buckle up and we all you know certain things are coming and there's going to be changes. That's not the way to be uh, giving out information. That's not a responsible way to be doing uh, business with the country. You know, it really isn't. Um, you know, I mean, like, you, no, no politician's income is going to be cut. No politician's job is going to be lost. But they're putting an awful lot of fear into people with this drib drap way of, you know, giving people uh, little bits of information. And certainly over the weekend, again, we had Stephen Donnelly and we had, uh, you know, certainly, um, Simon Harris last night on his, on his, it's almost like, a, 
like we've had weeks and weeks of musical chairs now. It's like politics a la Trump with tweets and Instagram posts and what have you. Well, what really people want is the proper information at the right time. Uh, not to be getting a lead in for days, you know, that's causing an awful lot of anguish and upset uh, in people's minds and in families. Anyway, lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six on that one. Back down to Middleton we go. Jacinta, thank you for holding. Good morning. You saw, well, you didn't see the attack. You saw videos of it, is it? Yeah, very early yesterday morning. Um, I woke and, like, I just opened my phone and I saw pictures of this girl and she had put up the pictures herself. And it it just really upset me to see the pictures, but there was two videos as well. And one of the videos was of her boyfriend being attacked and of her separately. The boyfriend was attacked by a gang of boys and herself was attacked by a group of girls and... I'm just very upset, Neil. Um, when I actually, I have a daughter of my own and I, I don't know, like I do know this girl, as, but it's just so upsetting. Like for, I, I'm just so sad that I'm actually after seeing it because I can't erase it from my mind. Um, she was actually on the ground, unconscious, and they kicked her while she was unconscious. Absolutely, in the head. Absolutely. In the head. In yeah. the head. Yeah. And of course, somebody stands by and videos the attack, which is equally shocking. That's exactly what my husband said to me yesterday. Yeah. But I'm um, like, why were they even out? Like, I have a 21 year old and 18 year old. They understand the seriousness of this COVID. They stay in. They, you know, they, and it's very hard on them because look, we've all been teenagers, young adults, and it's it's really hard. But for God's sake, just go get your bag of chips, go home, whatever they were doing. But they, what what it looked like, what I saw in the video was they were just sitting having their chips, and they just attacked them for no reason. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, you could have no, you could have no valid reason for doing that anyway. None. Well, well, Neil, six to one anyway. You know, I mean, that girl didn't stand a chance. And 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 to make matters worse, it was girls that done it to her. Well, why do you say that? Because this this is a relatively new phenomenon, isn't it? Gangs of girls going on the attack, rampaging, kicking, fighting, screaming, pulling hair, kicking people in the head. I think it's absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I would hang my head in shame if my daughter was capable of doing anything in the sort. What do you make of the parents, though? Um, what's what's the deal there? I think they need to wise up, Neil. And do you know what? They need to keep them under control. And do you know what? Take their phones off them. Ground them. You know what? They, they just need to look... I have, as I said, two young adults, but they live under mine and my husband's roof and it goes by our rules. And if they don't like that, they know where to go. And do they tell you about what it's like out there? Do they feel... Oh, um, my, my, my daughter's in leaving search at the moment and she's finding it really tough at the moment. And I know she is, but she said, like, you know what? It was a lot easier in your time, ma'am. She said, you know... There's an awful lot, I don't know, pressure out there for young girls and young boys, I think. But then there's others that are 
I don't know. They just think it's cool to go out. But how could anybody say? How could anybody think that it's cool, or even how could any girl think that it's cool or attractive to fight? I, I, I really don't know, Neil, because I have never, ever witnessed anything like I saw yesterday morning and it upset my whole day yesterday, my whole day and night. I couldn't sleep last night thinking of that girl. I really couldn't. And you know what? I, I, I don't know. I just, I just hope that we can be that girl's voices as in, you know, to help her and that pleased that they leave her alone and you know she had the courage to speak up yesterday put up photos and you know whoever videoed it they they gave her the videos and she put them up to show what they'd done to her and her boyfriend because because they're minors i got a press report from the guardian because they're minors really there's there's nothing's going to happen there you know it might even be a badge of honor for a for one of them to be arrested look how cool i am you know do you know do you know what neil it's just unbelievable. I, I've just, I've just no more to say really about. All right, this. thank you. I know you're upset. Many parents yeah. would be when they okay. see that. Thanks, Jacinta. Take care. Bye, Neil. It's open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. And of course, uh, today is going to be a, a day of change. That's for sure. Later today, we will have. More announcements. I was uh, shopping in a supermarket Thursday. Three school kids behind me in the queue, no masks on. I don't think they needed to wear them as they were nine or ten years old. Uh, I was in front. Li- I was fr- in front of them in the line, but they kept coming too close. They were not aware of distancing. There was no adults in sight. Every time I stepped away, they were oblivious. Uh, please, parents, educate your children, especially those that are in shops without their parents as a frightened and concerned new mum. Uh, I have a grandson who's six years old and I've watched him throughout COVID-19. Uh, when he would meet to see or see his grandparents, he would say no hugs and only use elbows. When he arrives home, I see him go straight to the sink to wash or sanitize his hands. I think we should all take a lesson from this younger age group. He attends Blarney CBS School in Blarney and the school is an excellent place where they show their pupils how to use hygiene to help them from contracting the virus or indeed from passing it on. Um, meanwhile, it's not the parents, it's not that the parents don't care, it's just that the youth of today don't give an F. Excuse my French, but they really don't. They don't, they give grief to anyone that looked at them. Never mind, listen to their own parents. They think they're bigger and tougher than everyone else, Neil. Uh, morning, we need a curfew similar to France. Find those in breach of the guidelines because the idiots don't care. In fact, James said that. At this point, it's no point trying to teach people who are acting the maggot. You know, they haven't been listening for the past six months. Um, Saturday evening, there must have been up to 60 teens past my house with bags and boxes of drink. At one stage, a mother pulled up and dropped off her son and he hopped out with a bag of drink. They gather their drinking every night, all summer and every weekend. COVID doesn't bother them or their parents by the looks of it either. Well, there you have it, dropping a kid off to go partying with the mates. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106 and we'll pick it up after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850104106. Red FM. Here we get the uh, COVID numbers published every day and broadcast every day. They come out every evening and we know the amount of people that are tested positive and we hear about the deaths and everything. And of course, 
we don't hear of other aspects uh, related to COVID-19. Like what we don't get are the daily counts of the amount of people who lost their job in the past 24 hours or the amount of businesses that closed in the past 24 hours. We don't get the daily count on suicides or we don't get a daily count on house evictions or um, home repossessions. Um, like we don't get the the daily count of the number of people who said today, standing in the middle of their kitchen to themselves, I'm lonely. You know, we don't hear of those figures. We hear of those that are testing positive. And of course, that is increasing. But we need to stop the leaking and we need to stop politicians engaging in soundbite politics. We need to stop them wanting to be first with the latest update, you know, to get, you know, the public's uh, you know, attention, because that's just making people more worried, uh, more frightened, and I think more annoyed and angry. And Pat Phelan was tweeting just that over the weekend. Pat, good morning. Morning. Nate. It's like as if it's some kind of a popularity contest, do you think? I, I, well, it's become ridiculous. You know, we have ne- we have nested leaks. Two, obviously, over the last few uh, over the last week. Yesterday, we have an ex minister for health on TV. Telling telling us about version four point seven five one six dot two. I know. You know, and everybody's terrified and everybody's scared and this kind of stuff. You know, I'm very happy with me all to come down the steps today and tell us what to do to stop this thing. But I'm not very happy because Simon wants to be on the TV yesterday. Yeah, it's it's reckless, isn't it? Uh, trying to steal a march. I mean, are you, uh, do you think that people would be okay? They may not like the news, but they would like it delivered in a a more responsible fashion, and then they'll take it on board. I think people are grown up enough to understand very simple advice. We were supposed to have created five different segments, which gave us five different sets of rules. Kenny overbought in, and I'm sure they were paid uh, a king's ransom to design these and the messaging around it. And in a month, that's completely gone out the window. We're taking a bit from three, a bit from four, a bit from five, and potentially a bit from six that doesn't exist. And the messaging is very unclear. Yeah, I mean, well... Who's, I don't think you can blame anybody for that. They, they, they were thinking about maybe different restrictions for different counties. That didn't work. They tried level three. That clearly hasn't worked because too many people just aren't getting the message. So they just need to ramp it up and get more serious. Now, Retail Ireland are saying that this is going to be catastrophic because everybody now is going to migrate to online. Uh, and they say that is it seventy percent of all of that revenue spent online will go out of the country? I, I I think there's a huge problem with Christmas shopping now. That people just will panic and they will internet buy. And I think obviously the Amazons of the world, you know, are the the number one hit for any toy you will want to purchase will nine times out of ten not be an Irish resident company. And it'll come from overseas. That's local money lost. That's local jobs lost. Is that why Retail Ireland is saying that all retail should be deemed essential? All of it. uh, No other EU country is closing down all shops. People will Christmas shop online, as I say, to the consequence that 70% of the money will out of the country. But then when we reopen, everybody will rush out and make it even more unsafe. 
I, I, I just think there's a very unclear plan here because you close for three to four weeks. Then there's a huge, incredible rush, as you said, for Christmas shopping. And what you then have is another huge spike. And then we close in January and we reopen for Valentine's because that's super important. You know, and I was reading something in the FT over the weekend. China has just had either wave five or wave six in certain cities. So there has to be some method figured out about how we're going to live with this and how we're going to operate this. And, you know, as a, speaking as a businessman, how we're able to keep some type of business going in the country whilst, uh, whilst abating this. And what would that include? Um, like, for instance, the shops and retail would close, off-licenses would stay open, uh, building sites would stay open, I believe. But gyms are a worry, isn't it? Because people are saying they need it for their mental and their physical health, particularly for their mental health. But um, would you include gyms in that? I, 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 to be honest, and, and I have a lot of friends in the business, I certainly wouldn't include off-license anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would have been one of the first ones I would have closed. And I think gyms, uh, I train a lot, as you know, and yeah. I think gyms are difficult, especially where groups are involved. But the, but the, the main message from what you were saying at the weekend is, uh, we know where we're at. We want the information given to us properly. And then we can, you know, move forward. And, and more importantly, the information giving to, given to us by the people who are supposed to deliver it, not by someone secondhand who was briefed by a guy who was in the meeting, who's unimportant, even though I'm an admirer of his. Because Simon and Harris he, wasn't even at that meeting. No, he wasn't. He, he, said, he, was brief, he said he was briefed by Leo Bradker, who, you know, number, his number one goal is to be on the TV. That seems to be... And what drives them in that regard? I mean, you've, sto- you've studied social media and the philosophies behind it. Is it ego? It's, no, he wants to be the Taoiseach in, me, in waiting. That's the problem here. Me, me Hall had to make a really bad decision or a really tough decision to try lead the country out of this. They're waiting in the background. Their goal is to make Fianna Fáil look bad. And what we've got is we've got a Taoiseach in waiting sitting in the background who will only give good news. And when he has to give bad news, he'll put someone else out in front of the cameras. That's how it works, full stop. This is a political game then? It's a political game. And the other thing we're completely missing here is we're closing for three, four, five weeks or six weeks, whatever we close for. What is the criteria for reopening is what I want to know. Mm. What numbers do we have to hit to reopen safely? There's none of that. It's just weeks. The weeks don't make a difference. It's the control makes a difference. Pick it up after 10. Appreciate you taking the call, Pat. Out of time for now, Pat Phelan. Uh, 1-850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. I was telling you about in Switzerland, a Wi-Fi company asking people to name their children after their Wi-Fi company and to get 18, 18 months free Wi-Fi. 18 years free Wi-Fi. What am I talking about? There are a lot of other new words. There's a new noun now. The noun Corona Coaster. It's a noun. Apparently, it's the ups and downs of a pandemic. One day, you're loving your bubble doing workouts, baking banana bread and going for long walks. 
Corona coaster means that the next thing you're crying, drinking gin for breakfast and missing people you don't even like. Uh, mind you, in spite of uh, the last six months, uh, Ireland's rich list just gets richer. And those at the top of it are involved in retail. Nothing wrong with that. They're giving people what they want. But it's been a bumper year for Ireland's rich people, despite the pandemic with uh, uh, some of them... Um, seeing massive increases increases in their fortunes, particularly those involved in pennies. The owners of pennies, Hilary Alana and Galen Jr. Weston, uh, and the families top the Sunday Times rich list at 11.8 billion euro. Despite the lockdown, the empire continues uh, to do quite well. And the papers this morning drill into uh, the rich list that was announced yesterday. The rich get richer, in most cases anyway. Um, some people got rich over the weekend with the lovely memento. You know the monkey tree, the monkey puzzle tree that was down in Mahan. It was planted, I think, 160, 180 years ago when that was one huge, big, massive estate that was owned by William Crawford, the brewer, the businessman. Uh, and he had the Lakeland estate that took up um, all of Lakelands, all the way over by the Well Road and all of Mahan. And, of course, that was a long, long time ago and that, most, that monkey puzzle tree uh, survived and survived and survived until Storm Ellen came along in August and knocked it down. Well, they cut it up over the weekend and over 200 people took little pieces of that historic monkey puzzle tree home, which is a lovely thing to do, a memento. And I think that was a lovely thing to do. And it makes the echo today with photographs of it. Don't go burning that in a fire now. That's not burning timber. That's a piece of cork history. And yesterday... Talking about Cork history, I went for a cycle yesterday all the way down the railway line into Passage West. And I thoroughly enjoy There's many people out walking and, uh, you know, running and enjoying the outdoors and families and kids on trikes and bikes and stuff. It was lovely. Um, but when I got down to Passage and over to Glenbrook and over to Monkstown, uh, it was just superb. You know, it really and truly was. I came across the story of the Sirius which was the um, steamship that left passage in 1838. And it's an incredible story of how powerful a town, particularly with regards to imports and exports and maritime trade, that Passage West actually was back in the day. They have the paddle shaft there of the Sirius steamship. The paddle shaft's a long, long shaft that turned... Uh, the rotors, the massive big rotor blades, the paddles. Um, and it was an incredible story. Back in 1838, the Sirius uh, became the very first 100% steam-powered craft to go to America. And it left Passage West. And the captain of it was a guy called uh, Richard Roberts. He was the captain of the Sirius. Uh, and he's buried in a place called, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Marmalane Churchyard, Churchyard. In, um, in Passage West, in the mausoleum there that his, his wife uh, had erected to him. It's an incredible story, an historic story. And I, I knew, I've heard, I heard of the Sirius, and there's a lot of different pieces of art painted about the Sirius, but for some extraordinary reason, I never knew the story and the connection uh, with Passage West. So when you get out there into different areas, you really learn how fabulous and historic city and suburbs and satellite towns and villages that we have. The Sirius in 1838 became the first steamship to, uh, you know, and made history. It was like, at the time in 1838 it was the biggest thing since Columbus, I suppose. Or maybe you believe it was St. Brendan like I do that found America, but there it is. Um, great story. 
uh, and a beautiful, actually a really beautiful churchyard, if you like visiting churchyards, because uh, an awful lot of the headstones there are very old, back end of the 1700s, the early 1800s, and, and a lot of them, I have to say, would seem to be people who were involved in um, seafaring. There were sailors who drowned at sea, whose bodies were recovered at sea, uh, and I guess the closest port when they brought their bodies back to shore was Passage West and they were buried there. So I just pass that on, just as a by the way. It's not all doom and gloom. There are some lovely stories out there and the serious is one of them. Now, um, we have a global audience, obviously, because uh, you can listen to radio now all over the world. And I got a lovely email in the post from Laura. She says, I hope this finds you safe and well, given the current global crisis. I'm just writing in to let you know how much myself and my fiancé love your show. We live in Perth, Western Australia, and the distance hasn't stopped my fiancé from West Cork from tuning into you on Red FM Daily. You're part of his morning commute in the mornings in Perth. And you're on the radio on the job site and then again in the car in the evening heading home. He didn't want to miss out on any of the current affairs stories from back home. So we went all the way back to your podcasts, The Misfortune. (laughs) And he's been listening to every episode of the show since the end of last year. Oh, my God. That sounds like a that's like like a sentence handed down by a judge in court. Anyway, he's slowly starting to catch up to the present day, but isn't quite there yet. But I do understand you must be inundated with emails and requests constantly, but I hope this one makes it through. Could you please possibly give Adrian McCarthy in Perth, Western Australia, a shout-out for his birthday, which was yesterday the 18th. He'd be stunned, and it would mean the world to him. It would come as a great shock to him to be mentioned on your show when he finally catches up. Probably maybe sometime in the early new year. Anyway, he's joked in the past about me contacting you, but he'd never thought I would. So why not? Uh, I hope to hear from you. Stay safe, says Laura. So happy birthday to Adrian. Delighted you're enjoying the show, even in spite of the circumstances we live in. And morning to you all in Perth, Western Australia, Australia, where it's now nighttime. Um, and uh, happy birthday for yesterday. Okay, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. And now to a man who... Uh, who broadcast for many, many years and also read out many, many requests down through the years. But he's got a request this morning, and that's Gareth O'Callaghan. And it's to stop all of this leaked information, because it's only leading to panic. And Gareth joins me by phone. Morning. Good morning. And the panic then in turn leads to, you know, you get news 48 hours before an impending change in lockdown. It leads to panic socializing and it leads to panic shopping, right? Yeah, I, I missed it. Something must have happened there, Neil, because I missed the first few seconds of the introduction. But um, sorry about that. It's great to talk to you. Sorry and you too, that. my friend. Good to catch up. I'm saying that when yeah. we when we have people leaking uh, or yeah. taking to videos on Instagram or politicians trying to outdo each other, it's not helping. No, and that's putting it mildly. And I, I was listening to the new words you were reading out there. Coronaphobia should be in there somewhere. Yeah, I agree. Uh, because because I, th- I think it's 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 uh, certainly as a small island nation, we are now not only divided as an island in terms of how we're looking at this virus, but we're losing our minds, literally. Um, I receive I receive a lot of emails and private messages, one particularly that um, I was reading last night from the mother of a 14-year-old girl who hasn't been able to sleep now for over six weeks. And uh, the, the reason is she's terrified that her mother will die if she goes out shopping. 
Now, she knows that uh, she can't distinguish between why young children in her school and who she sees during the day don't have to wear masks. So she came home and asked her mammy, uh, she said, Mammy, the people who wear masks, are they the people who are likely to die if they take their masks off? So really, I, I think what's happening now, it's grossly unacceptable. Um, I, I, as you say there, yeah, the, the, this is what happens when you put the Fine Gael and the Fianna Fáil parties together in government. This was inevitable. And unfortunately, the the, the huge, the huge, with a swathe of differences in thinking. And unfortunately, that sort of prevalent feeling about their their different histories, this is now causing a, a chasm between the, the, the parties and the way they should be carrying out their business. You, you have the former Taoiseach now leaking stuff. As far as I'm concerned, that's what it certainly looks like. Now he would deny that probably, but I, I think the entire nation would probably agree with me. And then you have the Taoiseach, who is away for the last few days, and I think he's back in the country today to have a, a, a government sit-down. So he has he's, he's now calling together today a group of people who will examine the latest recommendations from Netflix. Now, all of the people sitting around that table are men. Ten men will make the decisions that will affect the lives of effectively five million people for the foreseeable four to six weeks. There are no women at that meeting. And, you know, Ellen Coyle in The Independent makes a very good point this morning that here are a bunch of men who think completely differently to the way women think. In what way? How would it be different? Well, because women raise young children. Women get mostly, I have to say, there are many great men out there who step into the role of the main parent. But majority of, of, of parents who look after the children are women. They decide what they buy in the supermarket. They listen more to you than men do. Um, but th- that's the nature of radio as we have it. It's, it's particularly Irish radio, particularly, you know, your talk show. It, it attracts more women listeners because there are more available to listen. Um, so really, the decisions that are made um, have had no influence by women whatsoever. And the Neffet uh, recommendations have no business input. No, none whatsoever. And they're also being recommended and they're, they're being discussed and talked about by a variety of mostly doctors. Now, a number of the doctors who are regular, um, regular contributors to particularly national radio stations um, I know we, we have a couple of wonderful doctors here in Cork who I hear regularly on your show. Uh, I think Rory Boland is one of them. Yeah. But uh, I, there, there would be there would be a number of them who have assumed household name status. They 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 are almost like the uh, the Neil Prendival of the medical world in in the sense that they have assumed a kind of a, kind of a personality. Uh, they're star doctors. Now, this is, it's a dangerous thing because while I, I wouldn't want the job of a doctor right now, considering that two Cork doctors in, in the North City have had to close down their surgery because they have tested positive. But people believe everything a doctor says. I, I remember hearing the number of people rejoicing when they heard that Dr. Tony Hulahan was coming back to head up the, the, uh, the Netflix group. Mm. Uh, and He's a doctor, and yes, he's a father, and he's a husband, but, you know, I always say, 
I was always brought up to believe that you can never question the doctor's decision. Um, now I don't believe that anymore. Now I always urge people, question the doctor. If you want to go to the GP, if there's something wrong with you, bring a list of questions. Let them see that you've studied it. Do you but think that too many doctors and too many medical professionals have been rolled out, for want of a better term? Oh, completely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it's all very well to get the epidemiological view of a doctor or the virological view of a virologist or a bacteriologist. But at the end of the day, what we really need, I think it's the guy in the, in the, the GP in the surgery who's closest to the ground. He's seeing the men. He's seeing the women. He's, he knows because... He has been these people's first port of call when it comes to primary health care. Um, a lot of the people on Netted, yes, there are a few GPs on there, but most of them, uh, they don't know what goes on in their local surgery. They are in laboratories, they're lecturers, they're, uh, they're in scientific situations. They're not close to the ground. It, it may be all very well to say we have to go to level five, but the number of people whose anxiety levels are driving them to question whether it's actually worthwhile continuing like this. One particular man said to me the other day, he said, if I didn't have two young sons, he said, and I, he said, my wife passed away quite some years ago and I, I'm rearing them sing, single-handedly. But he said, I've just lost my job. And he said, they're riddled with anxiety and stress by what's going on out there. Um, one of them can't stop watching and listening to the news. But he's too young to assimilate in his mind that these are simply news stories, but he feels that everything he hears affects him directly. Now he's terrified that if his dad gets COVID, that he and his brother will be left orphans. See, we, we are in dire straits here at the moment, and it, it's not dire straits with COVID. COVID will take its natural course. We look back at the Spanish flu 100 years ago. Somebody said to me the other day, well, that was 100 years ago. This is a different virus. It's not. See, the, the thing is, it, it's a different style of virus, but it still is capable of doing what happened in the Spanish flu. It won't happen because medically we are so far advanced now and people are so much more aware of what's going on. But I think responsibility has got to be returned to individuals. You cannot corral people and say to them, this is what we're warning you you should do, because the, 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 normal, the normal reaction to that is to rebel and kick back and to, to refuse to act accordingly. But what, are you, but what are you suggesting should happen? I mean, if you heard, you probably heard of the Barrington Declaration that yes. started with three Oxford professors, and now I believe 10, 15,000 scientists and medics around the world have signed it, where they say... And just quoting the spectator, they say those at risk should be offered protection, uh, although it shouldn't be mandatory, but they should be offered it. And those not at risk, which is pretty much everybody under 65 without underlying health conditions, should return to normal. Uh, that's the Barrington Declaration of which 15,000 scientists, medics around the world are now signed up to. Is that what you're suggesting? I, yeah, see, I, that's that's the perfect situation. We're, we're living in a situation that is far from perfect and is, to be honest, I think, from my perspective and the way I see it now, it's uncontrollable. You You have a lot of people who are respectful of their commitment to other people to take care of themselves 
Uh, and I remember, I think I, was, I heard somebody on your show saying last week, think, think as if you're in level five. Yeah. Think as if the person you're with might have coronavirus. Think as if you're waiting on the results of a test. Now, that might be extreme, but really, if, if, if you're simply just going to say we're moving to level 4.738, uh, we're not going to go quite to the five, but we are going to draw up a list of restrictions. People don't like the word restriction. To restrict anybody unless they have actually broken a, a, a law that's designed to prevent crime. Well, they, they don't like being restricted. But I, I think what we've got to do here is we've got to say to people, look, we, what we what we plan to do is to ask each of you to be as responsible as possible. But we can't expect you to lock yourselves up for six weeks. We certainly can't expect our elderly parents and grandparents to be cocooned again. And I know that the government are currently saying that... That won't happen. That it's not going to happen. And I I think at this stage, while a lot of people begrudgingly allowed it to happen back in, in April and May, that was because we were all terrified. We're no longer terrified. What terrifies us now is domestic violence, is um, alcoholism, is depression, anxiety, suicide. The numbers of suicides in the last six weeks have actually outdone the number of suicides, have outnumbered the suicides from this time last year mm. by three by three times. Three oh times. my God! Is that is that a that's a, an accurate figure? Is it? That's an accurate figure. And you know, I, I mean, you know, I always say to people, and if I can just make this one appeal on your show to those people, and I'm sure there are many people listening this morning who are wondering, what's the point of carrying on? There is every reason to carry on, because I always say that the mind has the ability to change the way it's viewing things and the way it's assimilating things very quickly. The, the human mind can only hold on to one specific, one specific state of mind for 90 seconds. You change immediately the way you think, the way you see things, the way you're, um, the, the, the way you're trying to interpret things. Yes, but unfortunately, what people observe other people doing also changes their minds. You know, I hear of people that are with COVID symptoms still going to work still mixing with others. I came across stories over the weekend of people who tested positive who were still going to work. I, I just wonder, will there be the same buy-in later on today as there was, say, six months ago? Or will people say, ah, I can't do this again. This is just too much to ask. I'm not going to restrict my movements. I'm not going to follow the guidelines. Others aren't doing it. Why should I? I would agree with you. I think that is what people are going to say. And I really think, and from what you know, I've, I've heard, I mean, we, we go to Clannacilty for a Sunday afternoon most weekends. And, you know, I love that town. It's probably one of my favorite towns in the entire country. And there's a beautiful joy about the place. But yesterday, all of our shops were closed. The pubs are all closed. Beautiful little public houses and cafes down in Clannacilty. All closed. Like the main street it, it, it's a sad place at the moment and it shouldn't be that way because it's a beautiful town and it's a reflection I think of the way people are thinking people want to, to people want to put up this air of I'm doing okay but inside I'm like a sad town I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I can't get rid of this sadness and this sadness is 
is, is magnified the more I listen to the radio and hear these levels. And there were, there were no levels last April. See, this is something we have to remind ourselves. The levels only came in sometime early in the summer. And this was to prevent, I think it was probably July, this was to try to prevent people who were holidaying and people who were trying to fly abroad and that. Back in April, everybody said, oh, this is a horrendously dangerous disease. We don't want to die. We will abide by the instructions and we will lock ourselves up. But now people are saying, I can't do that anymore. I'd rather, somebody said to me recently, I'd rather take my chances and get it than lock myself up in my apartment. This person is self-employed, they work from home, but they live on their own. So their attitude is that I'd like to take my chances. If I get it, so be it. Um, And it, it, it leads you to think that, right, they go partially close to the level five level, they keep us at that for six weeks. They, the plan then is to try and open the country for three weeks so that we will have a quote-unquote normal Christmas. You know, then they're going to plan to close it down again because they're expecting a third wave of this. People are devastated. When you say to them, why are you devastated? You, they just say to you, I just feel I've lost everything. I've struggled so hard. To, to keep and to make and to invest in and to aspire to. It's almost like as if the last 15 years of my life, it's not, it, not only has it just been put on hold, but it has just been wiped out. Mm. And I think it's, it's, and I really mean this, Neil, like, I mean, listening to you, people wait to hear you coming on at nine in the, in the morning because I suppose, like yourself, I, I, I did that style of radio when Jerry Ryan had, was away for quite a while and he took breaks here and there. And I, I was his wingman, as, as it were. But I know the influence that you could have in terms of the way you express your opinion on things. And see, this is how, this is how potentially powerful or lethal live radio is. So I think when people from Neffet and when the likes of professors and consultants who have now assumed that household name status go on radio, they have to be very, very careful what they say. Because when they rattle off a load of statistics, unless they actually say, now I want to explain what these mean, well, the first thing people are going to do is they're going to panic. You know, and they're talking about how dangerous this virus is. Yes, we know that. But they're not telling people about the numbers that are recovering. Mm. They're not saying for every five individuals who are in intensive care, there are actually 50 people back home and they're feeling quite well again. Mm. Or for every five that go into intensive care, five come out. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And see, we're, we're, I'm looking out the window here. It's pouring rain. It's going to rain all day today. And as you say, it's going to be showery tomorrow. We've a few dull, cloudy, depressing couple of days coming up as far as the weather goes. But that's not the way we should be looking at life. We should try to spend this time literally saying to ourselves, right, I'll give myself 10 minutes of serious news. Um, and after that, you know, and when I say serious news, I mean the likes of 
the television news in the evening, the likes of, of the, the, the live television chat shows and the debates on television at night. That's very, very draining. And that's why a lot of people... But why would you want to watch that, that, though, if you're just seeing government ministers or medical media stars, as, you know, as you said, scrapping like wildcats, terrifying the public? Yeah, I, well, personally, I don't. I, 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 we don't watch television at night time. We sit, in, we sit in the kitchen and we listen to music. And that's what we do. And we sit around the table and we just talk and chat about things. And see, I, the, the, it, it, when, when you get an opportunity to sit down together, it, it's a very rare opportunity. And it's an opportunity to explain, particularly to young children, that what they're hearing on news bulletins and what they're reading online is not necessarily pointed at them. So when they read these huge statistics of the numbers of thousands uh, each day, like 1,283, I think it was yesterday, and five more deaths. See, the the problem with the government is that they're not explaining carefully the breakdown of those numbers and the fact that those numbers were recorded two weeks ago. That, in other words, the testing began two to three weeks ago, and these are the results of the numbers yesterday. And this this is something that we we really have to distance ourselves from. Um, you stop. You stop. Close of saying that those five could have died with the many underlying medical conditions. However, yes, of course, yeah. So, in other words, somebody who is is, is somebody who who has diabetes, somebody who has um, chronic emphysema, somebody who uh, is suffering from cardiovascular issues. Um, you know, individuals who sadly are undergoing chemotherapy and have very very low immune defense systems, you know, COVID gets in there and it's very, very difficult to treat that individual Mm. in the way someone who gets it, who has no underlying issues, can deal with it now. You see, but the problem there is any time that comes up on the air, people say, yes, but they're still entitled to live regardless of underlying conditions. Their life is precious. They're a father, mother, brother, sister, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. You you know, and like, uh, I, I think... I, I fully agree. But now you. you see we have 30 year olds being the average age. It's no longer 80. So there's an element of blame here, isn't there? Well, there is. And, uh, you know, I, you know I, I know, like, t- let's take ourselves back two weeks ago here in Cork when the Rockies won. And and I remember listening to you t- talking the following day about, the you know, the, the behavior of the crowds. Um, following the, the the wind that evening, like the, the, the thousands of people who came out on the streets, very few with any probably probably more likely to be hundreds. In fairness, well, but I know well, what you're hundreds, saying. Yeah, yeah. hundreds, yeah. Um, but but so so that's why two weeks later the numbers in Cork are up. I believe that has a very very big bearing on why the numbers over the last couple of days have gone through the roof here. Uh, whereas if you look back a week ago, our numbers were relatively very low. Um, now, I'm hoping that the numbers, like everybody else is hoping, will come down in the next couple of days. Um, whether they will or not, I'm not too sure, because I know that it is now at a level where it's transmitting in the community, which is very, very uncontrollable. So what's the message here then? Uh, for the government to cop on with the leaking and behave more responsibly and for everybody to uh, knuckle down for the next month, is it? Well, first of all, to the government... And I, I mean, I'm just little old me here. I'm now making an appeal. First of all, the Taoiseach needs 
to establish himself as the leader of the government of this country, not his Tanishta. His Tanishta is coming out with rather extravagant comments and rather gung-ho statements in the last week. And there's no sign of the Taoiseach in terms of either disputing that or backing that up. And that's that's the the big this is the the, the the big issue with having the two biggest political parties, the two biggest opponents of all time now in government together. They're never going to agree to agree on things. Um Stephen Donnelly really needs at this stage to, to step up to the mark. He really needs to assert himself. I watched Simon Harris on Instagram last night and for me, he was still the Minister for Health mm. because he made a lot of sense. Yeah, but should and he have been doing it at all? Should, well, uh, probably many people, I, well, I, <laughs> I would say people have seen a fall probably feel he shouldn't have been doing it. But then uh, that said, he has a huge following on Instagram and I thought his piece last night made me more comfortable. Um, I, I, I generally, I, I, I felt, yeah, God, he should still be in the job because he is doing the best of the whole lot of them. And it's simply just by the way he's talking. Because some are saying that Stephen Donnelly is in the role that he's in so that ultimately it will bring down the government and that's what Fianna Gael want. Yeah, the, yes. And, you know, I, I there would have been a time perhaps when I would have been appalled to think that that sort of background manoeuvring and, and, you know, furniture shifting was going on. Let's, let's, let's move that fella there. He's going to do enough damage now to take yes. everything out. Yes. We're in the middle of a pandemic and I do believe you're right. I do believe there is a very strong possibility that that was, dare I say it, a political move. And, fi- but, but it, it, and finally, I w- here's one that might sum up what a lot of people are feeling. I will not be adhering to whatever the government announced today. I'm sick to death of all of this. I will not put anyone else at risk. I will continue to wear my face mask, wash my hands, but I am not going to restrict my movements and sit indoors for four to six weeks. It's all getting too much now and I can't do it anymore. I want to visit my family. I want to visit my friends. I will. I want to go for long drives on a Sunday down to the Old Head or to West Cork. The government will not stop me doing this. I'm coming to the end of 14 days of isolation as I was COVID positive. It was just like the flu. We all need to wash our hands, wear our masks and do not put other vulnerable people at risk. We can still live our lives while doing this. And that's what I intend to do. I wonder are there many people feeling that? <laughs> well, I'd say that's, that's representative of the majority. Yeah. And if you wanted m- m- my interpretation of what a percentage of the majority would be, I would say that's somewhere up around 75%. I think 75% of the people who, who, who have just heard that individual's comments there will say, Hear, hear. And we're not talking about people who are 30 or people who are our age. Or We're talking about people who are vibrant and still independent, who are into their early and mid-80s. My mother is 88 years of age, and she gets into her car and she goes to the supermarket and she goes for walks in the park and she's on the phone to her sisters in the evening. And she said to me yesterday, she said, and I'm still going to invite my friends to drop in. And... I just said, that's the way to do it, ma'am, because, you know, if you lock yourself up, you'll just wither, and life is not for withering. Life is for embracing, and, you know, if there's an invisible virus out there, we're going to have to learn how to live with it, not to hide from it, because it's not going to go away. 
A lot of kind words being expressed here and to, to you and wishing you well. I'll read them out in a few minutes' time. But as always, great to catch up. Look after yourself, Gareth. You too, Neil. Great to hear you. Cheers, Thank my you. man, Gareth O'Callaghan by phone. Just with regards to that, Gareth is not factoring in potential long-term COVID with, for those healthy people he says are recovering. There are long-term health implications. They will potentially end up after with after effects for the rest of their life. This is real. You really do not want to get COVID in the first place, says Aidan. Yes, a lot of people have awful problems, heart problems and uh, long-term respiratory damage. That's true. My mother will be weak. Her two favorite voices chatting. Please give a shout out to Mary Lynch if you can. Only a small thing, but if you do it, it will make her day, says Finn. So I hope I've made her day. Morning to Mary Lynch on my behalf and also on Gareth's behalf. Great to hear Gareth on the air. He's making a lot of sense there. Wish him well from one of his greatest fans, Noreen. Never a truer word has been said. It took Gareth O'Callan to say it. I hope this tape of the conversation finds its way to Michal Martin's hands, says Darren, the taxi driver. Uh, Gareth O'Callaghan is a rock of sense. Everything he says is so true. He's on the money. It actually calms me listening to him. Thank you so much, Neil, for having him on. Have him on more regularly. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. We weren't getting all of this uh, Neffet meeting, Neffet decisions, Neffet are considering, and then all of the different politicians getting their tuppence worth in on television or indeed radio, and maybe I'm guilty of that to a lesser extent, and then uh, tweeting and Instagramming, and we just got the information when we need it. You know, the, the detail when we need it, which, say, for instance, would be at 6 o'clock today, not yesterday, not the day before, not, um, you know, a politician's interpretation of it, not the patronizing, wash your hands, stay safe kind of thing. We know about all of that. Um, I think it would be an awful lot better. I thought about, you know, I, th- I thought about drilling into the difference between level four and level five and the key differences. Actually, I'm not going to bother doing that because it will be whatever it will be later on today and then it will be up to people to make up their own minds as to how they want to deal with it, particularly with regards to social isolation. I just can't get over that story of elderly people in West Cork apparently uh, posting letters to themselves because they're living 20 or 30 miles from a village and the only person they might see would be um, a postman or a postwoman. I think that's very, very, very sad. Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. And the consequence of you know leaked information. Oh, an effort a meeting, and this is what they're going to recommend, and the government are going to do it on Monday. The consequence of that then is panic. You know whether it's panic socialising for the last time, or indeed it's panic shopping. Well, this morning's no exception. Morning, Neil. There's a huge queue for Smiths this morning. The car park that would be the Kinsale Road, I suppose. The car park is jammed at Smiths on the Kinsale Road. There are two queues of 150 people in total, right around the building, standing in the pouring rain right now. I took one look and turned the car around. COVID-19 will be the last of our worries if things like this continue. Uh, morning. I was wondering with Christmas around the corner, would the likes of Smith's toys uh, consider, would they be considered essential? I know we can go online and all that. I'm pretty sure a lot of parents and grandparents especially won't be very comfortable online buying toys. It could work by only allowing adults in the store, perhaps, just so there's no unnecessary anxiety for those concerned out there. I myself am in a fortunate situation of being pretty much done with regards to Christmas. Well, you could be deemed as one of the lucky ones, but certainly from the text coming in this morning, there are big, big queues. Way, way too many people. Um, feeling or panicked into thinking they need to do it today or they had to do it over the weekend. And that in, in itself it just leads to anxiety, stress and worry. And that's not good for you. Carmel, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are we? Thanks for holding. I'll squeeze a couple of calls in between now and mid and 11. What's on your mind? 
You know, I was on, I suppose, being on Friday, just you're on about the, the leaking of the politicians and everyone, all the different politicians giving their tuppence on the, the COVID and what should be done. And, like, Simon Harris is not, no longer the, the Minister for Health, it's Stephen Downley. And I went back a week ago on Sunday, he had a, a, a live video interview on RT, and he was asked a question, I don't know who... Which now you're you talking about, Harris or Donnelly? Donnelly, Stephen Donnelly. Right, OK. Yeah. Um... If you want to call him that, I've well, don't, don't. That's you know. not, you know, please, please, please. You're aware don't, of that. Don't, don't do that. But no, no, really. Don't, I won't don't, know. Don't, don't do that, that with regards to somebody's physical um, uh, details. It's not right. So don't do that. Mister, right, Mister. Well, like have a few names, both. Yeah, well, really keep, keep them to yourself. Will you? question. Yeah. Um, he was asked a question in August when he was on the radio station about Dublin Airport, and he said they were going to put testing and tracing in place. And then on Sunday gone, last Sunday, he was asked the same question again that we interviewed in August and you said you put testing and tracing a place in Dublin Airport. And his answer to that was, his response was, we have a plan in place. We're putting a plan in place eight months down the line. There's, Micheál Martin is the Taoiseach, right? And he should be the only one to give any information regarding the restrictions of whatever level four or level five is playing. That man that was on earlier on there before, the last man or the man before, yeah. he said that Neil Baraka is just sitting behind in the background and uh, giving the instructions. Neil Martin is only with the name of Taoiseach. He's not actually acting Taoiseach. He's, a pu- he's calling him a puppet Taoiseach, is it? That's what he is. They're all puppets. Now, they went into power, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, notorious enemies for years. And he got that job on the only, only reason was you can be Taoiseach but I'll be calling the shots and that's about it and you were politicians jumping in scaremongering the people tell them this is going to happen this is going to happen and that man made a very valid point he said look if people are requested and said look we'd like to request you to like wash your hands stay safe keep your social distance yeah but uh, people did people did all of that it was inevitable there was going to be a second wave they said in the winter time and here we are people did all that but there are way too many that never did and we've seen that over and over month in month out people who just didn't give a damn you have Donegal O'Leary there, I think, on Friday, and he mentioned about Cork Airport and on account of Ryanair pulling out. But I've yet to see Sinn Féin, the opposition, calling the government out on Dublin Airport. Now, I'll give you stats in Dublin Airport. In one month, 159,000 people travelled in from EU hotspots. I know that. I now, know if, that. They had been tra- if they had been tracing and testing in the airport, we would stand. I know that, that. and this super no, spreader that we're hearing, the market. super spreader that we're hearing about this morning in the papers came in, came back from an overseas trip, and I hear, I am hearing this. I'm also hearing this morning that Irish people, including Cork people, flew out to London yesterday to attend a rave on a boat. Imagine that when they come back home from the exactly. rave on board a boat. And 90% of the population are, are, are adhering to the rules, as yeah. they call it, and practicing. And we got that LEA stats there on the, on the 15th in update in October. The 15th of October, LEA, local electrical areas. Cox City, Southwest, 253 cases. Now bear in mind, this is over 14 days. Cox City, Northwest, 256 cases. Cox City South Central, 566 cases. Wow. Cox City South East, 231 cases. So what's with and South Cox Central City there? West, pardon? What's with South Central? Big number. South Central, 566, but funny enough, South East, 231. 
North East 299, but there's nothing on those stats about Cock North Central. I couldn't find it. Okay, I'll see if I can drill so that's into that. Yeah. That's nearly 249, 11, 12, 12, 12, That's only 1,600 cases just in Cork and surrounding areas. Anyway, okay, okay. So, so you want, you want it to be black and white. Either we go into lockdown or we don't. black and white. And you know it's black and white and I know it's black and white. You either lock down fully or you don't. Okay. You tune a bit. Level three, level four, level five. Level three was. But how you lo- how do you lock down totally if you leave the schools open and the creches open and the off licenses open? Neil, at the start, children weren't classed as transmitters, right? But secondary school are adults, like fifth and sixth. No, year. I'm talking about schools in general. I'm talking about at the start of this pandemic. I've been on to you a couple of things. Schools weren't trans. Our children weren't transmitters. Then all of a sudden, children could get it. There's so many thousand children now, 12,000 children in England with COVID at the moment. Like, you know, they have to tell the truth. You've missed it. They were thrown under the boat. How can the government dismiss a medical team of experts telling them we need to go to level five? No, we won't bother. We'll stick with, we'll go with level three for why? Because the consequences for people's jobs and for retail, it's going to be devastating, you know. I mean, it's all going to migrate online now. And oh, people no, no. are going to lose their job. Many oh, well. businesses will never reopen again, depending yeah. on what's announced well, One minute now. We the pubs that all got ready to open up. All hairdressers open up. We've got all yeah. the people. We're talking about the economy. This is the economy need. Pubs oh. that have put money into their pubs and put all this. I know that. I know that's the history lesson. I'm just 16 days they were left open, closing down again. You have to look at Australia, New Zealand, Denmark. You're telling me about the economy. We live none. How come these countries can close down full lockdown and still have an economy after. We're no different from any other country. Well, uh, the only... Uh, Australia can lock down the borders, Denmark and Sweden. You, you saw, saw a picture on Facebook yesterday, Sweden. Everything is normal. That's so right. you're telling me Ireland can't... The, the whole of Europe is black. The whole of Europe is black and Sweden is white. Yeah, I know it's weird. Yeah, yeah but if you're right. telling me that this country, Ireland, can't close down fully on lockdown because the amount of jobs that will be lost and the amount of... Uh, it can't have money that will, will be lost in this country. Schools closing. It's happening all over the world. They're locking down their countries. They're controlling the virus. It's either black or white. We either do it or we don't. And if we don't do it, you're going to Christmas and we won't have... Uh, Christmas will come and Christmas will go. But I'm talking about this government playing around it. Bit, two and a bit, three, four, five. And Neil Martin couldn't make any decision. Now I'll ask you a question. He was in Brussels for how many days? Two, I think. Right. When did he come back? Yesterday. Right. And does he not buy under COVID law, I would say COVID restriction, is he supposed to isolate? And don't tell me now it's the essential travel, but does he have to isolate? Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I suppose so. I know, I know. Yeah, and you're looking at one, it, it, it's just the travel thing. It's just all the TVs, they're going, I saw Stephen down there. Ronan Glynn and Tony and Tony Hulhan going into the door someday last week and now one of them had a mask on. All right. So like, why okay. should we be where like, we have to wait? They're telling us, don't do as I do, do as I tell you. But if every other country and Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, Denmark and Denmark are borders as well, lock their country down. And you're telling me we can't afford to do it. If these countries can do it and get back on their feet, we can do it. Okay, thanks for that. Lines open, one 850 Colin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, it's the thing that struck me there over um, over the last couple of weeks. 
watching matches and things and seeing players celebrate after matches. They're jumping on top of each other and uh, rolling on the ground and things with each other. And I thought, right, they're the heroes of a lot of young people in, in this country and in England, whatever, wherever. Um, would it not be a good idea if sporting bodies got together and said, Right, in future, there's to be no celebrations. You can put your hand up in the air once you score the goal. Something like if a player goes... I, I, forgive me now, are you nothing. seeing that in premiership games or something, is it? Oh, yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. And, and like, I, I presume it could happen in other codes, but more so, I suppose, because premiership, uh, English premiership... It's televised, yeah. 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 Yes, it's televised. Young people watch it. Lead by example, you okay. know. Okay, all right. Thank you for that, Colin. I wish I had more time. We're back after 11. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Just jumping in because uh, there's a lot of rain there and it's leading to an awful lot of surface water and a car has aquaplaned just after the Bandon Road flyover in the fast lane. They've hit a barrier in the middle of the road. I hope everybody's okay. Car aquaplaned into the barrier. Slow down, guys, if you're in the area. Slow down in general anyway. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Wet today and windy. From Friday's program, um, a big response to uh, Besbra and the uh, different reports that are now going to be locked away for 30 years. Um, they say that it has to do with uh, protecting the families of those involved, that it would be okay maybe to some extent if those files could be read by the families to whom they apply, but not by the general public. But we got talking about Besbra and we had stories and case histories of people who were either born there or indeed gave birth there themselves. And just a selection of texts on that. I was listening to your conversation with Joan McDermott, her harrowing tale of her time in Besbra on the air and the horrors inflicted on young mothers and newborn children. I was overcome by a heartbreaking statistic. Today in Progressive Ireland, uh, one in ten, in every ten children, Children are aborted. Look how far we've come. The more things change, though, I believe the more things stay the same. Um, an interesting perspective that was also brought up on air uh, on Friday, um, and it caused quite an amount of division and debate with regards to. In fact, I was brought to task on this uh, by email, where somebody said, "I saw another side of you today." Neil, and it wasn't very pleasant. Your show started out with the story of Joan and her experience in Besborough, which is one of many places like that in Ireland. But then you let Jerry on the air, and he used Joan's story as a segue, if you like, to yet again another preach on his abortion rhetoric. Why let him take from such an important story about the records of the mother and baby homes being sealed? You gave him room too much room to speak his mind, to upset listeners who may have had abortions uh, or maybe they're thinking of having an abortion. As we know, the abortion referendum took place and it was passed. But the issue at hand now is the Catholic Church and the government of Ireland attempting to cover up crimes that were committed against the women of Ireland and their babies. Those crimes are kidnapping, imprisonment, abuse, neglect, and because of the horrendous treatment of these women and girls, causing their deaths and the deaths of babies in the so-called care of religious communities. Let us remember that they were known as mother and baby homes, not men and baby homes. People like Jerry think they can tell a woman how to live and act. These men could continue on with their lives. 
many affected in their own way, I'm sure, but they did not suffer as the women did. Just because they acted out of their human emotions, they ended up being pregnant. I have two grown sons and a very supportive husband, but I always rejected the phrase, we are pregnant. No, I was pregnant, enjoying and suffering all that comes with the process. How dare Jerry condemn these women and all women by his callous remarks and how dare you allow him the opportunity to do it at a time when we do not want the subject of these records sealed for 30 years. I'd appreciate it if you apologize to the women of the mothers and baby homes, women who have had abortions, who are thinking of having abortions for the disservice Friday's show did to them. I'm worried about your motivations on this issue, to be honest. Please don't let us down. I love your show and have never written to any show until I listened to yours. Now I have done so many times because of your topics, but this is the first time I've been in touch in condemnation of you. Yours sincerely, Lillian. It wasn't my, um, it wasn't my intention and I didn't set out in any way, shape or form uh, to, as you say, um, upset um, anybody, particularly women who've been through terminations, nor did I wish to in any way upset people who were either born or had babies in Besbra? My, my, my underlying wish always is to try in as balanced and a fair way as possible is to give everybody uh, an opportunity to have their point of view aired. Um, and Jerry first, that conversation started um, with him talking about Besbra and mother and baby homes. And then it did segue into the 6,666 abortions and terminations that took place in Ireland last year. But if you're saying that I didn't challenge him, uh, or at least attempt to challenge him and put other people on the air to disagree with them, come on. I mean, I did. There were other people on air who were equally as annoyed and angry as you, but came on the air and made their points. Now, I'm not taking from you in any way, shape, or form. The email is a strong one, and I want to give you an opportunity to have your uh, voice heard as well. But um, it's it's always very dangerous when you're shutting people down. You know, you're better off taking them on, addressing them and uh, having a debate lively and emotional as it could be. But there was nothing intentional on this. Um, uh, he may have had um, condemning or callous remarks to, to make with regards to comparing the two. But not I. Not I. Besborough forced women to go through full pregnancies and adoptions. Jerry thinks if a woman gets pregnant, then her only option is full pregnancy and adoption. His morals are scarily in line with the morals of Besborough, I believe, says another text to hear. And one final one on this. I listened to your conversation with Joan and the horrific time she had in Besborough. I spoke earlier on in the year about this. I was born in the mother and baby home at Clonakilty. I can assure you it was no better than Besborough. It was run by the Sisters of Mercy, says Finbar. Um, that man has absolutely no conception of what it's like to give birth or to be pregnant. Abortion has absolutely nothing to do with what happened in Besborough. The mental and physical abuse those women suffered is not comparable to abortion. Also, abortion is the woman's choice over her own body. And there are literally dozens and dozens of texts like that and emails as well, which I will come back to. Uh, pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six for anything that may be on your mind. And that's what Laura has done. Laura, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Now, um, I believe we need to be vague about your partner's actual job. Am I right? Yes. Okay, happy to do that. But it does involve going from door to door, does it? Yes, it's uh, he works in door-to-door sales for an energy company here in Ireland. Door-to-door sales is door-to-door selling a product, asking people to maybe switch their energy suppliers or something, is it? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And does that concern you, his, his job at this time? Absolutely, Neil. Um, I mean, the government's announcement, I believe, last Friday uh, was that we all need to restrict household visits. We, we were put under a blanket household ban, yeah. right? Yeah. My partner's job is calling to between 100 and 150 households per day. That amounts to over 700 households a week. You know, where, how is that safe? How is that safe for him to come into contact with that level of, of people? Even, you know, he has come up to doors of people who have said, listen, we can't talk to you. We have COVID or we're in self-isolation. And, and in order for for my partner to bring home a way to put food on the table, he has to go out into those circumstances. Yeah, but he walks away from those doors when they say that. Oh, or if somebody says, I'm, um, yeah, I'm awaiting a test, he just leaves. Absolutely, 100%. But Absolutely. How, how does he engage with them if, for instance, they open the door and they're interested? Like he says, you can save 40% if you switch energy costs now. Does he have to go into the house? No, well, pre-COVID, yes. But now they have, they've told him that they need to stay outside. Yeah. Um, they were provided with face shields. Um, but as of last week, they were told they needed to buy their own face masks. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 not a contactless situation. I mean, if if he was at your door signing you up, there's forms you need to sign, um, everything. And you know, he is calling. To, it's just the sheer volume, I think, of of homes that are being called to. Does he, get, does he get any grief when he calls? Absolutely, yeah. hugely. Like, I mean, and I. I wouldn't want somebody calling to my door and I'm sure you probably wouldn't want somebody calling to yours either in this time. Um, well, I still do. I mean, there was a chap, lovely guy last week. He he was lovely, but I said to him, listen, I can't, man. I just can't talk to you and I can't yeah. take that off you as much as I'd like to. He was Absolutely. selling calendars, you know. I felt really yeah. sorry for him because he's trying to make a mm-hmm. living, you know. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's trying to strike a balance. And I mean, I completely understand that companies are... Like it's hard for companies right now. It's hard for any businesses right now. I completely understand that, but I just wonder: is door to door, like calling to that level of houses every week, is that safe? You know. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, he's not probably his strike rate isn't very high. I'd say is it? No, right now. But I mean, like, is it? If know, he's calling to seven hundred a week, like how many people is he signing up? Their aim is to get thirty people per week. Um. 30 sales per week but it's excessively different or difficult right now it's extremely difficult um people just aren't wanting to to talk people aren't wanting to come to the door people aren't wanting to you know people are just like look we can go online yeah yeah i mean some people might be happy with someone calling to the door do you hear the story this morning of elderly people writing on themselves so the postman will call absolutely and it's such a tough and have they, have they, like, what's he said about it? Like, and what are his workmates saying? And those that are going door to door, are they unhappy? I mean, would he prefer not to be working on a COVID he, payment? Like, I mean, none of us want to be on a COVID payment. Like, first and foremost, I mean, trying to make ends meet. It's, it's not exactly a life of luxury going on a COVID payment. But, you know, it begs the question of, is it safe calling to 700 households? And I think it's quite different. You know, somebody said to me about, you know, okay, but you go to the shop and you're meeting so many households in there. That's, I think that's a very different situation. But it, how uh, is it different? Like, I go to a supermarket and I got a trolley load of stuff that goes up on the belt, right? And it moves along the belt um, and I put it up there. And then the uh, shop assistant 
touches every single thing and it goes down the ramp and I pick it all up again and put it into a bag. I mean, like Absolutely. that's like very, very scary when you think of it. Absolutely, and it is. Like it's it's similar in senses, but it's also very different because if you had symptoms, would you do that in the supermarket? No, you would isolate in your home. And that's that's where I think the big difference is, you know, is people are staying in their households, people are staying in their homes when they do have symptoms or if they're That's isolated. That's their safe place, yeah. So you That's have people working, place, going to their going, safe place, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, you're going to that environment where they are, that is the place where they're isolating or that is the place where they are if they are infected. You know what I mean? And, and don't get me wrong for one second, I'm not saying that, like, you know... I don't know, the whole country. Like, I, I mean, I guess I get everyone's debate about lockdowns and restrictions, but it's just when it's households. And what households has the company, households. what has the company that is working for said? They are literally ignoring the fact that there's any restrictions. They, they're putting more and more pressure. As far as I'm concerned, they're putting more and more pressure on the staff, you know, very blase about it. That's, there's no, there's nothing going on. There's no COVID. You know, keep wear your face mask and your face shield and sanitize your hands. And we, like people are so excited to see us. Um, but they're not clearly. Great, but they're, but not, they're not, and the sales they're are really great. Not. And and it no. is involving people calling to people's safe place, which is their home. I understand. Absolutely. You're curious as to what the public think of this. Mm-hmm, 100%, yeah. Okay, let's find out. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate that. Text 0868104106. Have you had people calling? Are people calling? Uh, do share. Um, and back again now to the issue involving our conversations regarding uh, Besborough mother and baby homes. How come so many of us want to be members of the Catholic club? Why do we still get our kids christened and confirmed? Why does the bishop still get an audience with the Taoiseach of our country when he wants to continue mass gatherings? We're all brainwashed, but I believe we're actually in denial regarding religion. These institutions could not have existed for as long as they did in isolation. Successive governments gave them a free hand and they turned a blind eye. Uh, The Irish people voted for these governments, so all of society is complicit for the existence of these institutions in the past. It's very easy to just blame the church alone. There were many more complicit to the likes of mother and baby homes, including successive governments. Uh, Whatever are you doing, Neil? Everyone knows we must keep this all under the carpet for at least 30 more years. The witches and the druids of the past haven't gone away, you know. We don't want to shame them and the prominent families that spawned them. You need to keep quiet. It will all go away, says Paul. Um... If we allow them to lock up these records, we are allowing them to abuse us all over again. That's from somebody who went through the mother and baby home uh, the uh, scandal itself, I'd imagine. Uh, it's interesting, with the cataloging of babies by American companies that's happening now and in the future, uh, I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time, because it's quite a lengthy email, and I'll, I will come back, or text, I should say. Uh, good morning to all of you. I know three people who've had to go through hell in Besbra, one of whom fell pregnant at 17, They said the trauma of giving her baby up for adoption outside of carrying it for nine months was so horrendous that if she had the opportunity again, she would have had an abortion as the nightmare for her now, 40 years later, still lives with her. Um, And then there's others questioning the fathers. What if the father could support the child, but the mother wanted to abort? Where does the father stand? Oh, this is more to do with uh, Jerry raising the specter of abortion yet again on the air. I'm a married mother with three kids. I have never been in a situation where I would have had to consider abortion and it wouldn't be a choice I would make. However, what if you have a woman that conceives and is in fear of her partner? Or 
would think having an abortion would be the best choice for her and her unborn child because bringing the what the child into the world could be worse on the child um, because of domestic violence, I guess. Um, and one final one. On the topic of abortion and termination, I was raped. Ended up pregnant as a result. I decided to keep my baby, but I live with the guilt every day when my child comes to ask questions of who is her dad. And I'm in absolute turmoil of do I tell her what happened or pretend nothing. As a result of this, I suffer from severe depression and PTSD. Uh, I love her to pieces, but sometimes I just don't want her to think that she was the result of something as monstrous as what happened to me. Last year, someone close to me had an abortion as she was not in a position to take care of the baby and that was her choice and she knew it. It is a woman's body and they deserve the choice of abortion to be there. Otherwise, it results in women traveling abroad with no proper aftercare. Trust me, abortion is not a choice that's taken lightly. She went through many different counseling sessions before she took the abortion. Trust me, she lives with the decision she made. It's a woman's body and a woman's choice. A man does not have to deal with the mental turmoil a decision like that takes. Um, it's 2020. Women have a choice. No one has any idea what goes on in anyone else's life. For instance, my family don't even know what happened to me with regards to being raped. They all just think I was irresponsible and had sex without protection. I wonder if you shared it with anybody at all. It may well help to share it with somebody, somebody close to you. I'm not suggesting that it should be a family member, but I think you're carrying a burden all on your own. And a burden shared is a burden halved. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Quite interesting, actually. A pal of mine over the weekend sent me a stat and a, a graph of um, the examiner from January of this year, just at the start of the year, where they were talking about flu. Uh, and it said that there have been 44 deaths from flu so far, the flu season. And this was dated like the middle of January. 44 people died from flu. And the week of the publication in the examiner, mid-January, there were 609 people uh, admitted with flu. And it brought the whole season of flu last year, uh, admissions in hospital, to 2,707 uh, and most of those who died were aged 65 years and older. Um, does anything sound familiar there to you? But that, of course, was flu in January. Uh, this winter we'll have flu and also the combination of uh, COVID-19. I got a lovely email in uh, the back end of last week um, uh, from Niamh, uh, who's actually from Cork, trained in UCC uh, and went nursing in the UK and she's nursing in neurosurgery in King's College Hospital and she said I'd love to come on air at some point to speak about my experiences of working during Covid in London as a native Cork girl and trained in UCC perhaps people listening to you might be interested and we certainly are. Niamh, good morning Morning Ian, how are you? How's it been? Um, it's been, you know um, I suppose there's probably a lot on the news and everything at the moment as well um, we're, we're it's hard to follow the UK. It's all over the place, like a cocktail of different guidelines and restrictions, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, um, like like you said, I, I'm based in London at the moment. We're, we're kind of at the period of time where we're looking like we're heading into second wave here. Um, my hospital at the moment, um, we're, we're okay for the past like two, three months, um, but we're getting a bit more admissions now into hospital um, here in London. So kind of what you were saying actually there at the start um, was quite interesting about the... Um, you know, patients presenting with flu. Yeah. Um, actually, 
what we were seeing in London um, a bit earlier on, kind of in the January, is actually patients that were coming into hospital um, that did actually have COVID, but we didn't know what it was. Um, so we were actually isolating these patients, um, thinking they were query pneumonia, query um, some type of chest infection, and actually they ended up having COVID. So actually, to be honest, end of January, we were seeing cases, you know, um, here in, in London. So I wonder with regards to that examiner stat from the middle of January, how many of those perhaps were COVID and not, not yeah, actual yeah. flu deaths, but COVID deaths, you know, we don't know. It, yeah, and it's quite a great area still. The, the statistics aren't very clear. Um, and and I, I suppose the, the um, I suppose protection of, of nurses and healthcare um, workers, even at that early point, because um, I know I was listening to the show early on and you were on about, you know, nurses and the shortage of nurses. And there were 200, we have 200 less nurses now than we had at the start of the year. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose, you know, f- from my point of view, um, I've seen a lot of my colleagues leave um, completely, like leave the profession literally in the past like three, four months. Why? And they, they've worked a long time in the NHS. If, you know, I suppose the treatment of, of the nurses really um, in, the, in the NHS has been quite, um, um, I suppose, just sad, really. I mean, I mean, we were sometimes going ship with no PPE. We were told to reuse masks, reuse visors. Um, we were exposed to patients that had COVID. We didn't even know they had COVID. Um, so we were completely exposed. Um, and, you know, there's quite a lot of, um, I suppose, just... Um, even a delay in response by by the government to take into consideration the, the advice from health you know public health England um, you know I, I mean even myself I was never tested and I've looked after COVID since February we were never offered routine tests in the hospital and not once no um, so even I was going into one patient let's say that would have had COVID and the next patient didn't and I was never tested so I could have been a carrier but they I did not. Um, 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 I never got offered a test. Um, I did any of my colleagues. So it's it's just a complete fault from the very, very start of, of this year, to be honest, and how things are managed. Um, and very, very unsafe. Um, even to this day, nurses are... I, I mean, if we're to get a, offered a test or antibody test or anything, we really have to have symptoms. So the fact that we actually looked after COVID patients doesn't... doesn't um, mean that we'll get a test. Would you get a temperature check going to work or anything like that? So that's only been started this month. So all during COVID, we never got our temperatures checked in, in, you know, in, in our unit. It wasn't a policy at that particular time. Um, it's only now in the last month that we have to come into work and get our temperatures checked. And have now you I noticed, like, you might be interested in this as a nurse, have you noticed now I'm starting to hear the message of uh, opening windows and the importance of fresh air and, you know, if you're getting on a bus or maybe a train or in schools, bring an extra coat because we're going to be opening the windows. Like, like that came very late to the game as well, didn't it? Yeah, and uh, and I suppose, um, um, like I said, I, I can't really speak for all units and all hospitals in London. I, I think um, each hospital has kind of managed things a bit differently depending on how many cases that they had. Um, I was kind of, I suppose, my hospital had the highest number of cases in, in London. So we, Case you know, um, yeah, yeah. So um, just I suppose where we're based and things as well, we were in one of the boroughs that would have had the higher higher numbers. Now we're okay at the moment and things. But yeah, definitely I did hear about the ventilation and things. Um, even I suppose in our, our wards, we had to move units um, and they have to kind of re, re, revamp some of the wards just to make space for proper ventilation and everything. But again, it all happened so late that it, it just, I don't know how effective it all was, you know. And how um, do you think healthcare workers like yourself are coping, say, physically you must be drained, but psychologically and mentally? Um, to be honest, and, and again, I suppose, look, I, I can't speak on, on behalf of everyone, um, just kind of things I've heard from my colleagues and heard around we, we haven't really been offered a whole pile of psychological support. Um, and I suppose, for me, I still, um, I, I, I don't even know, 
you know, coming into Christmas if we do get this surge in the hospital. So, of course, we're seeing the numbers increase in the community. That's how it starts. And then if, you know, if patients get acutely unwell, they will present into hospital and that's the time that we'll get the increase in numbers. But to be honest, we're so short. The ICUs are nearly at full capacity. Um, the NHS will definitely crash, um, you know, if if um, things are managed um, appropriately and in a timely fashion, you know. Um, but yeah, I think staff are really struggling. I've had a few of my colleagues leave already. I was transferred to ITU for um, a few weeks um, just to look after patients, um, um, you know, who, who were on ventilators. And I witnessed quite a lot of things that for myself, I still haven't fully got over. Um, you know, even having family members not able to come in and see the relatives um, and having to explain over the phone, you know, that your 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 family member basically isn't going to make it. And what's that like? I mean, how, how do you, do you have no training for that? Or perhaps you do, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's quite, uh, I mean, you, you learn so much in, in nursing school um, about, you know, um, um, delivering bad news and this, but this is something that no one could have ever anticipated. And, and I suppose it's only when you experience it yourself um, that you're... So firstly, you have to make the call and say, I'm sorry, he or she is not going to make it. And then you have to make a subsequent call when they die. Yeah, and, and, and I suppose it's quite, um, like in ITU when I worked in um, intensive care, it, it happened very quickly um, as well. So, you know, their family member might have just come in, you know, needing a bit of oxygen the following day. Um, they were having clots in their lungs. They were, you know, because um, we were seeing that COVID was causing all these changes in the heart and things um, as well. And they were coughing up blood clots. It was really, it was quite, I it's mean, rapid. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely very difficult. And I know myself, I haven't fully really, you know, um, I suppose, recovered and rested because we're still short in my unit, so I've had to cover extra shifts. And, you know, it's it just, it's a bit crazy, um, you know, um, overall at the moment in the NHS. Um, Do you think so that the 200 yeah. that were down in Ireland is because they, they, they just couldn't do it anymore? It was just too much? You know, you hear quite a lot about nurse burnout. And even, I, I suppose I'm only qualified about two years. Um, I actually trained in, in CUH as well, like, um, and I'd heard a lot about nurse burnout. And I was like, oh, you know, um, um, is that one of the reasons why people leave? But uh, yeah, I've seen seen colleagues just really stressed out. I mean, we, we work days and nights in the one week, and I suppose if you're seeing all of that um, stuff and you're not really getting over it, you're not being offered psychological support. You know, we're only humans; we're not machines. Um, at the end of the day, and and yeah, it's, it's quite quite difficult, and it, it's a pity really because we're losing quite a lot of um, very good nurses. You know, and do you have any thoughts on when you say it's a pity? Would you would you also say that about people who continued? to live their life recklessly uh, over the last few months? Um, do you mean in, in relation to not uh, Parting, um, socialising, you know, not adhering to the guidelines, you know, not wearing masks. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, house I parties. Quite, um, yeah, and, and I was even seeing, even working here in London, I was seeing some um, things on social media about, about things happening back in Ireland as well, about house parties. And, you know, it's just... Um, it's, for, for me, I'm quite disappointed because I suppose you will never really fully understand, um, um, I suppose, you know, looking after COVID patients unless you've literally been in the front line. And but you know, the the, I know, I mean, you would have the experience that none of us would ever have. But I'm wondering, the, the, those patients that you dealt with, uh, like, and I'm not and I'm not being selective now or in any way yeah. uh, talking about the, you know, somebody's age but you know were they were they as being a reason why they should die don't don't think that I'm from mom but were they elderly were they obese do they have underlying health conditions all of those patients or a proportion of them um so i suppose um overall there would have been a proportion that um would have had and um, i suppose that got acutely unwell and ended up passing away unfortunately they would have had some comorbidities a lot of what we saw actually um 
patients again that might have had some pre-existing cardiac conditions that were worsened during COVID. So basically, COVID makes you know it made everything worse, um, unfortunately, for that patient, and nothing we could do would would alleviate any of the symptoms. But yeah, some patients that had pre-existing cardiac conditions, diabetes was another one as well. Poorly managed diabetes and patients really got quite unwell um, coming into hospital. You know, if if they had caught COVID. but yeah, I, I mean, age-wise, it was a vast, anything from um, 15 years of age right up to like 18, 90, we were seeing in, in intensive care, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And what about family back home? Have you got home? When did you last get home? Are you in touch? So I was actually quite okay, I suppose. Um, I, I uh, managed to get a few weeks of annual leave together. So I actually managed to get home back in, in I think it was end of July. Um, for uh, I suppose end of July to, to August. There for about three to four weeks I was home. But you wouldn't so, have been able to do anything, would you? No, I, and you know, and people even asked me, like, was I not bothered? I literally, I was so happy just to get home and back on Irish soil. Because <laughs> I literally, I did not think when would I be able to do that next. I think the last time I had been home was Christmas. And I literally just spent the full three, four weeks at home. Like, I didn't, I didn't even leave. I mean, I exercised a few mornings, whatever. Um, but that was it. I stayed at home and I was quite happy to do that. I know some, some, you know, I was hearing some stories of people not adhering to the, the, the guidelines and things. And look, everyone is different. But for me, I was just so happy to see my family. I didn't want to, you know, I, I didn't care about anything else really, only just spending some quality time. But, but how did that work? Did you have to isolate from them or get a test or anything? Yeah. So basically the advice that I had gotten at that particular time, I know it's changing, um, every few weeks and every few months but I was told just to restrict my movement so basically what that meant was don't really leave the house um, unless it's something quite urgent so don't really meet with friends um, only your immediate family that particular household um, so to be honest I spent most of my time in my room I was allowed to socialise with the rest of my household but not, not um, I didn't leave the household really only to exercise early morning sometimes and that was it and did you feel all the better for it after a few weeks? Yeah, I actually did. I was just so, I literally was just so happy to, uh, I suppose, to have got home and I hadn't slept properly either. I was working like 60, 70 hours a week. So I was just literally resting at home, like just spending quality time with my family. And, you know, I was so glad to get that chance, you know, because some of my colleagues, unfortunately, haven't been able to, to get home and mightn't, you know, mightn't be able to get home for another another while again. So, And how do you feel about the winter ahead now? added to all of the different things that come along with regards to sickness across the winter. Yeah, like, I suppose, like I said to you already, I, I have a lot of concerns um, and I'm not too sure about the NHS as a, you know, overall, how we're going to manage. Um, you know, we opened a hospital, Nightingale Hospital, there um, at, at the early onset um, of COVID and that turned out to be just, uh, I mean, the beds weren't filled, it was a complete waste of money um, and the, the hospital were, weren't actually taking any patients that were very unwell with COVID. So, it, it didn't really, I suppose the whole system didn't really work, um, you know, from the beginning, but definitely coming up to winter, we, you know, um, naturally, even before COVID, you'll see more hospital admissions, um, flu-like symptoms, um, you know, generally people are just more, more and well coming up to Christmas. So I'm definitely quite concerned about, you know, bed space and, and um, you know, um, bed capacity, I suppose, for patients who, who, who are unwell. But so look, a I lot of similarities happen. between HS and uh, NHS worries and HSE worries then. And yeah, and I, and I suppose I think the overall thing for me, from my perspective, is like just a delay in response that, that um, con- concerned me, you know, even in England. Like, again, we were seeing, you know, back in February, numbers were really, really increasing and, and there was nothing done. Only, only March, you know, and then the the track and trace was stopped. Um, it was completely abandoned in in March, um, towards the end of March. So, um, and like I said, staff were untested. We were given PPE that that we were told to reuse. Um, 
And then some days we didn't have any PPE and we were literally looking around the hospital trying to get any, like, a visor or a mask from any other unit. But in spite so, of that, did any of your colleagues get sick? Uh, yes, so I, I, I did have... Um, uh, a few colleagues that that got sick and were, were you know were off for a period of time um and um you know they're they're back at work and and things at the moment but you know even at that particular time I never got tested you know so it's just it, yeah it's it's very very questionable at that particular time what was the the criteria for testing you know and and for me like nurses where the for, um I mean the first line option for patients when they come into hospital they meet the nurse first. So if anything, we, we're exposed to so many I patients um, every shift and the fact that we're not tested or not prioritised is is, um, is shocking, to be honest. You, know? you still haven't got a test? So I, I actually got a test before I went home and that was my choice. I just wanted to... But, that, yeah, but it wasn't um, mandatory for the job or It wasn't mandatory. No, no, no. All right. You well, know, listen, so. I'm, I'm glad to catch up with you. Um, thank you for your email. Um, and regards to your family in Mallow who are hopeful are listening and, you know, yeah. happy to hear you on the air. Mind yeah, yourself. Yeah. Take care, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Okay, take care. Cheers, all take right, care. Sorry. Text 0868104106. I've decided that all of the COVID rules, including the mask rules, are nonsense. The anti-social distancing is malarkey. The cocooning is rubbish. And the other stuff that is being dreamt up on a daily basis is just not for me. Uh, the freedom I enjoy in my own life is wonderful. And I can assure my fellow countrymen and women that it's there for you also. All you need to do is change your mindset and lose the fear. Be kind to yourself. You will not hear these comforting words from politicians or HSE bosses. Uh, go it alone, folks. We have nothing to be afraid of except our government and health spokespersons. We do not, under existing law, have to listen to any of them and their careless scaremongering. Just live, says Robert. Um, I don't know whether you're getting the balance right there, pal. Um, you know, okay, it's all very well to just live until you start dying. Uh, I understand you say the freedom you enjoy is your own life and it's personal and private to you. Uh, but what of those around you, you know? Uh, let's not have rules. Let's have guidelines, shall we? Or some amount of common sense. I wonder how many people think it's uh, a sensible thing to say that mask wearing is nonsense. Anti-social distancing is malarkey and cocooning is rubbish. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. So what are we expecting a little later on? I'm not going to go through the differences in four and three and all this kind of five, but what we're expecting later on, apparently, according to The Independent this morning, they're saying the schools and creches will remain open under new strict COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, schools and creches remain open and they're also hoping to allow elite sports like GA championships and horse racing to continue. Uh, but new travel restrictions may see people being banned from traveling beyond either 5K or 10K from their home. We'll have to wait and see which they decide on, either 5K or 10K from the home. Bars, restaurants, gyms, swimming pools and most shops will be asked to close. Uh, household visits will be banned, but people will be permitted They've got this term now called expanding your household bubble. What that means really is that household visits will be banned, but you will be able to allow close family members, people who are isolated, those that are in need of care, to be part of your household. Yeah? Um, evictions will be banned to coincide with the new uh, restrictions. Um, obviously, there's no point telling you you can't go outside of your county. You can't do that now. The ministers, apparently three government leaders are meeting this morning with senior ministers and officials, so we'll have to wait and see 
Uh, it'll be kind of somewhere in between level four and level five, if you like, uh, without drilling into them. Construction and manufacturing companies are expected to stay open uh, along with other essential services and shops. Um, it's kind of interesting that if all of retail closes but essential stays open, that means that it's it's must be very bitter pill for people in retail to be closed, but then you could have Dunn's still selling clothing and homeware, houseware, household stuff and things like that, as well as, uh, you know, I suppose you say the same about Tesco and maybe Lidl and Aldi to a lesser extent, uh, but other people then in fashion, say for instance, would be shot. Don't know where it's going to be with regards to hairdressers. Somebody was telling me at the weekend that you know, hairdressers and barbers would be allowed to stay open. I mean, I think that would be Fairly long shot, though, wouldn't it? Uh, whether or not you'd say that a hairdresser or a barber would be an essential retail or essential service or not. Many people roaring and screaming, shouting that it is. My hair is essential. Um, but a lot of different texts then on that, which I'll come back to throughout the course uh, of today and tomorrow and what have you. But Mary um, was listening uh, to Neave Cork Nurse in, in London. Mary, good morning. Good morning, how are you? And you came home from in Christmas. January, yes. Yeah. Um, I was actually very, very ill too. Where were, did you come, wait a second, just wind back. You came home um, from A&D having spent three days really ill, is it? I was in there for a week. Okay. I actually went to South. I was so ill at home, I thought it was a flu. But eventually I couldn't breathe at and all. My, but my point is, this was Christmas last year. Yes, okay. yes. yeah. Yeah. So um, I went to South Dock and my own doctor first and then he put me on the neckties and everything, take your inhalers, everything. Nothing was working, steroids, nothing, tablets, antibiotics, nothing was working. So South Dock saw me and he said, you have to go in. I couldn't breathe. I could barely stand. I was grey in the face. My sister said, you are bad. And I went into Amy and I wasn't five minutes in Amy and a nurse came out and she actually cut my arm. She says, you left to go too far. And I said, I actually have the flu. I don't know what's wrong with me. I said, I didn't eat for a week. Just a rich tea biscuit barely. And um, when I got in there, um, they put me on the oxygen straight away. All my veins were after collapsing, lack of oxygen. So with that, the following morning, the doctor came around and they put me on the steroids, the whole lot in in drip. And he said, he blamed the cigarettes. I said, I came off the e-cigarette. I thought that was doing it to me. I said, I only smoke 10 cigarettes a day. I don't smoke indoors. I smoke outside my patio. I said, I don't inhale it really. I said, so the following day, they swiped my nose. Sorry, you have to isolate straight away St. Catherine's Ward. Put up to, but when when I went to the mercy, the nurses were wearing masks, and I couldn't understand it. And I said, "Why are they all wearing masks and gowns?" Some of them. So when I went into St Catherine's Ward, completely isolation, and my husband couldn't come in without a gown, mask, shoes, the whole lot, and we were putting there. The six of us had same cough, everything in there, and we were all getting the same treatment. It was unbelievable. Outside that. Um, you weren't on a ventilator, but you were on oxygen. Oh, no, uh, yes. Which, yes. which you would, which you would gulp on yourself, is it? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And okay. I was constantly on the nebulizer in there, constantly, you know, the whole time. Um, I You're mean, like describing something from April, but actually it was Christmas week. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. So when I come in, I, she said, you still have to stay tomorrow. I said, can't I go home today, please? So I said, I don't want to be here for Christmas Day because the ward wasn't that too washed out. The show wasn't that too washed out. And I felt I was getting more infected in there than coming, than, than, you know, what I, when it, when it went in. I really did. Do you know, so like, 
they were going to the last. And I said, I want to go home, please leave me home. So she said, right, we'll leave you home, but don't go near any of your grandchildren for at least five to eight days. Did they say it was flu, though? Did anybody actually diagnose you? Flu A. Flu A. That's exactly the words they told me. Flu A. And because and, Neave was saying there, nurse in London, that they think they may well have been treating people with COVID in January. Definitely. Definitely. No doubt about it. I definitely had it. My sister said, even when I came out to the nurse, she said, you were grey going in, but you are blue now, she said. I she phoned my brother, she said, I don't think that our Mary's going to make it. I was sat ill. I cannot remember half the Christmas last year. I was so, so ill. Why did they say to me, don't go near your grandchildren? All their toys are underneath my stairs. All their presents, everything wrapped up. Don't go near them for five to eight days. The storage, they say. I came out. I ended back down on my doctor, back on the nebulizer, back on another lot of two antibiotics. It took me a good until the end of January to get out of it. I was yeah. so ill. I yeah. can't remember it. Like, flu A doesn't sound all that different to COVID to me. It uh, comes from wild birds. I don't know. I really think that it was. I was so caught up, like, I couldn't even pronounce my own name. Do you know what I mean? I was so, so ill. And when they swiped my nose straight away, like, why did they isolate me straight away? Did you make anybody else sick? Pardon? Did you make anybody else sick? No, I didn't. No, because no, I've been put into hospital. No, my husband didn't get it. Thank God, no. And there wasn't, there's no one else here. It was just no, no. No, but it was an awful, it was a frightening experience. I never, ever, ever experienced anything like my life. So, as far as you're concerned, it was COVID-19 Christmas week? Definitely, definitely. And I spoke to a few people, you know, know, when I was out here and about, and like, they said, like, I've heard that before, you know, a lot of people were sick that time, you know, I had the same symptoms, you know. So it was, it was definitely her. I, I would, that nurse is really, really, she really knows what she's talking about, you know, and she's fantastic the way she spoke. Okay. And, you know, it was definitely here, like, to you know, it was, you know, so I just said I'd ring in and tell you, to Thank let you, for you that. know, it was definitely here. And uh, you know, you're fine now? You have you're, a name for it. Yeah, it was there without a name at that time. Okay. Exactly. Right. exactly. Thanks, Mary. Cheers. Take care. Lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Wanted to draw attention to the amount of people going to the COVID test centre in Blackpool and then going to the drive through McDonald's on their way home. They're showing no respect for the workers there who have worked really hard all the way through this pandemic. I witnessed the security guard yesterday getting the height of abuse for just asking someone to move on and not block the lane of traffic. Have people lost the plot, I ask? What do your listeners think? Well, what I think is it's extraordinary to see security staff working the traffic outside McDonald's drive throughs I mean, like, <laughs> it's just... Um, I mean, I guess there's a lot of it has to do with the fact as well that there are so few restaurants that you can go into and sit down. And I guess a lot of people like the comfort of McDonald's food in times of uncertainty. Uh, but having to have a security guard, you're absolutely right. Because what, what you saw in Blackpool, I see regularly in Douglas where they have to have security there or people traffic marshalling. Uh, you know, because the line is so long that it actually sometimes, if there wasn't somebody there, it would actually go into a line of traffic. The queues can be so long. Uh, so certainly, uh, and, and you know, McDonald's are doing good work. They're getting the product out in fairness to them. They're doing the business. Um, but uh, you got to wonder about the, uh, uh, you know, amount of people. Uh, there's nothing else you can do. I mean, that led then to the, the video earlier on this morning where uh, the Douglas McDonald's, the staff there are plagued with teens just literally hanging around there at night 
dozens and dozens of them. So there's got to be a lot of pressure on staff and we've got to bear that in mind uh, during this time. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. 104 Neil, ask the nurse why she doesn't come back and work in Irish health services if she's that keen to be on Irish soil. I think that's unkind. That wasn't what the conversation was about at all. I did touch on the fact that she got home to see her family in Mallow. She's in London saving lives. Um, that lady is a nurse and all nurses are trained for this kind of work. I would have thought that it would be never pleasant to nurse someone in ICU as they are there due to being seriously ill. Uh, nurses talk about the trauma of families not being with their loved ones when they pass. Well, this is the true disgrace. It's inhumane. And there can be no justification in not allowing family members there as their loved one is passing. I want to say that I agree with the email you read out from Robert um, about live your own life. We must stop living in fear of what is a flu virus. Oh, I'll get into grief for calling it a flu virus, but it's a text. I'd love if you could just try to stop pushing the fear and the narrative for just one day. Trust me, if you don't, you're going to lose a lot of listeners. And I know a lot of people. Uh, Well, it isn't my policy to push fear or a negative narrative whatsoever, but it is uh, an opportunity for people to get their own thoughts and their own opinions on air. However, you know, there are a lot of other topics that we've been dealing with of late um, besides COVID, but it's like a magnet. It draws people back all of the time. And I wouldn't be talking about COVID-19 if people weren't calling, texting or emailing. But we covered a lot of other topics over the past week or 10 days. And some people were happy with that. Andrew said, what a week of shows last week. Well done to all, particularly your researchers and producers. The kind of week you had, we need more of from now on, as well as keeping in touch with COVID. The story about Besborough, amongst others, on your show. Um, I had a customer meeting over breakfast with me this morning. And he was asking me about Cork and Ireland in general. It's probably a Zoom call. And I was telling him about Besborough and the stories I heard on your program and what that lady said on air about being forced in Besborough to cut the grass pregnant with the scissors. He couldn't believe what I was saying to him. And he said, I never knew Ireland had slavery. As an overseas customer, I never knew Ireland had slavery. Keep up the wide range of topics on your show. Help people remember there's a lot more going on than just COVID. Thank you for that, Andrew. It's appreciated. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. To everybody who got in touch with regards to Friday's program on Besbra and mother and baby homes, I will go back to emails and texts and perhaps calls on it tomorrow. But I want to leave the last word to Judy at the age of 51 who says, My blood is boiling listening to that poor woman and the evil twisted way that she and others were treated. The church has a lot to answer for. It's absolutely disgusting that those files would be sealed. I'm 51 and I was adopted through Besborough. My mother was a victim of rape at the age of 15. She was put into a place in Waterford and later transferred to Besborough when, where she had me. Her family shunned her family were they shunned her in spite of the fact that their daughter had been raped her family shunned her she had a tough life and ended it all in 2002 took her own life after one of her daughters who had mental health issues took her own life Um, i went back uh, in my 20s to find her and was basically run out of there besborough Um, they told me that my mother didn't want to know me and that she was a fallen woman That's what she was told in Besborough. When I had my first child, I thought about my mother again. And I went to Waterford to a church where my mother came from to see if they had any records. A young priest showed me and my husband into a vault. 
Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.